hey, knock, knock. Right. I said, knock, knock, you fucking bum. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. Sorry, who's there? Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. <laughs> what the f- Who's there? Banana. Banana who? Knock, knock. <laughs> I, who, who's there? Orange. Orange who? Orange, you're glad I didn't say banana, you fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You're a really good podcaster. Uh, <laughs> what do you what what'd you man. say? What'd you say? You're really you're a good podcaster, you know, the way you what does that the way mean? you are on the mic. What does that mean? I don't you the way you I'm a good podcaster. What does that mean? Things? What I'm just here to talk into a microphone for your entertainment? I'm just here to review no, classic dude. films so you can listen to it. That's what you're saying. I'm a no, good podcaster. What the fuck does that mean? What the fuck is so great about me as a fucking podcaster? No, I'm asking you a question. What the <laughs> fuck is so good about me as a fucking podcaster? You're punctual. Never ride on your friends, and always keep your mouth shut. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Hart. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation. Whether that reputation is good or bad, or whether that reputation is so solid that what is the fucking point of even doing this goddamn show on this goddamn movie? Right, Steve? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what movie are we... What movie are we two jamokes? We two schlubs? Mm-hmm. We two schnooks? Schnooks, are going to Are gonna fucking try <laughs> to review to see if it lives up to its reputation as being a good movie, Steve. Oh boy, we are going to review a movie that is the crime film to end all crime films. It didn't, but okay. It, it didn't, but maybe it should have. Um, we are going to review the classic, almost without peer, mafia film. Masterpiece. Ma- absolute masterpiece. Goodfellas. Hey, Goodfellas. Oh boy. I gotta find something bad because we can't keep doing good movie after good movie. We need to do a movie called Bad Fellas. But I know what the horrible choice is next, and you oh. don't. So. Oh, good. Hey, Steve, do you yes. have any trivia about Goodfellas? I do have some trivia about Goodfellas. Yeah, you give it to me. Give okay. me that trivia. Yeah. Did you know, Jason? Give me my fucking trivia. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Go get your trivia box. <laughs> Did I know what? Probably <laughs> uh, did. Ray Liotta was offered the role of Harvey Dent in Batman. I did know that. But he turned it down to make this movie. Because he made a good choice. Because he made a good choice. Well, Someone I'll tell said, you. I'll, hey, I'll, I'll, do you want to be second string banana or do you want to be in a Martin Scorsese movie? Do you want to be in one of the greatest films ever made? <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't know that at the time. He didn't know that at the time. But but yeah, I guess, I mean, the, the Batman probably would have been the choice for the, for the pocketbook. Mm-hmm. Um, but Goodfellas yeah. was, not only was the Goodfellas role a better role because he was the lead mm-hmm. but I mean I, I think even before the movies came out most people probably would have bet on the Martin Scorsese movie as being the better movie uh-huh. than Batman yep um, something else uh, speaking of which despite this being one of the most celebrated works of Martin Scorsese's career perhaps the mm-hmm. most celebrated the, f- yeah. the first scene shot for the film was neither written nor directed by Martin Scorsese nope that's because the first footage they shot 
thought was actually the wig commercial that we see on TV, <laughs> the Maury's Wig Store Maury's Wigs. God, that is such a great commercial. It's, and one of the things that makes it so great is because Scorsese actually hired a guy who was the owner of a window replacement company in New York City <laughs> who had done local commercials uh, mm -hmm. to, to create that ad and basically just gave that guy carte blanche and said, if you were making a commercial for this guy's wig business, how would you do it? And that guy <coughs> was able to write and direct and edit that commercial all on his own. And that's the commercial we see those little clips of in the movie. Um, and that was the I first. I love it when he jumps in the pool and they immediately cut to him standing in the pool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and his wig is completely dry. <laughs> they do that twice, I think, don't they? Yes, they do. Because that's like his go-to move in that commercial to the jump backwards the into the pool. Is him, the end of the commercial is him jumping into the pool. Into the pool again. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, something else that I think is interesting about this movie that really contributes to the, the especially the tone of like the performances and the character interactions. Um, while there is some genuine improv in the finished film for the most part what we see on screen is scripted however it's how they scripted it yeah exactly scorsese yeah. scorsese allowed the cast to improvise freely during rehearsals and, mm -hmm. and then he would take the bits that they added during the improv rehearsals and he would write those bits into the script. So mm -hmm. there are moments. Including yeah. the most famous bit in this movie. That's right. Wasn't well, it? It's almost completely improvised. Yeah. But they did it. Yeah. Well, I think it with, was through that process. With that one, wasn't it that only, only Pesci and Leota knew what he was going to say and the other people around the table, the other characters in the scene didn't know, like had not been shown that version of the scene so no there was that are... that's that's impossible because that also includes the bottle smash that also includes there are a couple of bits in there where the other actors had to be involved you know yeah pesci pesci is not a method actor per se and he would not have hurt anybody on on stage with an improvised bottle <laughs> smash. right that's true yeah the, the guy taking the, the bottle over, had to be in on it. <laughs> the overall dialogue that scene was worked out but the specific scene with what am i a clown what am i here to be I'm yeah using, that that is just between the two of them and the rest of the people kind of knew that there was going to be an exchange but they didn't know what it was that's what i'm but thinking, that hush right? that the hush that falls down is is what was they is what they were planned on and i'm just going to get this out of the way right now the reason why that scene is great is not because of how wacky you know the the performances are fantastic let's get that out of the way it sets a character because this is the first time we see the grown-up version of tommy yeah it we immediately become uneasy with Tommy yeah. through this scene, even though it turns out to be a joke yeah. on Tommy's part. And it's just this, it's so simple. It starts panning into him, cutting over to cutting over to Henry, Henry. When, for his reactions, and then cutting back to them. And then, bam, there's a release of tension, right? But by that point, right before up that point, you don't know what he's going to do. They make it perfectly clear. Nobody else knows what yeah. he's going to do. And, it, and, it, and establish, it establishes a pattern that we see repeated throughout the movie, which is when two of the wise guys are going at it in front of the rest of the group, the rest of the group just hangs back and lets it happen. Mm -hmm. You know, no, yeah. I mean, there's one, yeah. there's one guy who kind of tries to calm Tommy down at first, you know, say, ah, oh, Tommy, mm -hmm. you're taking this wrong. And then Tommy immediately shuts him no, down. He's a big boy. He knows yeah. what he said. And then that's it. Nobody else tries to intervene <laughs> at all. You know, when they, nope. when, when it seems like Tommy is about to lose his shit on Henry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, okay. More trivia. I have more trivia. We're just going to uh, do trivia. For okay. This. Just going to be an hour and a half of trivia. <laughs> Um, Robert De Niro, speaking of someone who was a method actor, is a method actor. Mm -hmm. Robert Robert De Niro was committed to authenticity in his 
performance as Jimmy Conway, um, to the point that he once asked how the real Jimmy put ketchup on his food. Mm-hmm. And so they had to pass this question along to the real Henry Hill, who then passed the answer back so that Robert De Niro learned how the real Jimmy put ketchup on his food. And it's um, all of it. It's all, he just he, he <laughs> it, break, all the, break the bottle on the edge of the table and just dump the whole thing. Do you see him putting that ketchup on He puts on a the, lot of ketchup on spaghetti at, he puts at a lot of ketchup. mom's house? <laughs> He does um, the he does the roll so that all the ketchup just falls out. Oh yeah, well you you know you, do you like ketchup or don't you? Come on, uh, um, not on and spaghetti. He yeah I know who puts ketchup on spaghetti. Oh he's Irish. He doesn't know any better. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, and, and there's another uh, my favorite example is there's 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 scenes where uh, Jimmy is giving people money. Yeah. De Niro did not want to use fake money. Nope. Because he because it didn't feel the same as real money. It doesn't feel the same. It doesn't look the same. It doesn't look the same. So he wants so for the scenes where you see De Niro as Jimmy paying people in the movie, that's real money. And mm-hmm. as a result of the fact that real money was being used, sometimes in amounts of thousands and thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. uh, at the end of those scenes, the money always had to be collected and counted before anyone was allowed to leave the set. Because yep. they were using literal, real money for those scenes. Because mm-hmm. De Niro couldn't just pretend. It looked good. Shut oh, up. Oh, I think it, oh, it, looked, it looked great. When, when they cut to those close-ups of him putting money in someone's pocket yeah you're not pulled out of the scene because it's fake i think they should have used like you know the kind of fake money that you buy at the dollar store that's obviously printed on newsprint and it's bright green sure just pull your let's pull everyone right out of the movie yeah rolling along and then you cut and there's fucking monopoly money it's got like a yeah it's not even it's not even got it doesn't even have numbers on it it's just got like a star or some kind of a symbol on it you just tap (laughs) it into the pocket and some cash for you hey here you go that's for you you know why do you know why fake money in movies look so goddamn fake i i, I don't know because they can be accused of counterfeit well yeah you don't want it to be too realistic no so it looks fucking gar it looks like garbage it looks like garbage it was There's the 70s that's what money sometimes looked when like you, sometimes you'll you'll see them and they're going through money and you only see the top side of the money yeah right especially when they're in the big stacks mm-hmm. and they only show the top side because the other side has to be blank right because it, it couldn't to. it couldn't be something that could even theoretically pass for an actual bill mm-hmm. yeah. exactly uh so get off their back get off martin scorsese's back god damn it i'm not far be for me to what question. are you doing <laughs> i mean i'm just saying if it had been me i would have said okay bobby that's nice you're gonna pretend we're giving you fake money you're gonna pretend if it had been you you would have said nah mr De Niro." i would have nah. said listen here star of godfather 2 and raging bull <laughs> you're gonna do what i say <laughs> <laughs> I think I know a little bit more about movies than you, Robert De Niro. And what I want the audience to do is when they see our fake money, they go, oh my God. <laughs> Why are they making such a big deal about all this fake money? De Niro comes on set. Why are there a bunch of five-year-olds drawing on little pieces of paper? They're making their fake money. That's the money. It's going to be crayon money. <laughs> this one has a unicorn on it. Perfect. We'll put it on the top of the stack. So what are you saying? You're not an actor? What's the deal? They just borrow some money, they count it, they count it at the end, and they give it back to the person that gave them the cash. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. That's it. As far as I know, nobody, no, all... no, 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 nothing went missing.
thing. Nobody was. They're all millionaires. <laughs> yeah. Um, Scorsese <laughs> probably pulled it out of his fucking jacket pocket. The head of the. No. Here you go. He has okay, $5,000. So Use this, Bobby. Let's let's make. let's. Martin Scorsese has made some of the most iconic films in American history. Some Indeed. of the greatest American films ever made. Indeed. You do not get the feeling that he's rich. He's not. He, yeah. He's not like. Especially you know, now. He's not like Spielberg, who can who lives in a house <laughs> no. made out of money. You don't. You know, Spielberg has nine houses and. And it's like Martin Scorsese still lives in, like, I think, in one house in New York. Yeah. He, he, well, he, 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 he lives in a room, estate. like, above his mother's house. You know? <laughs> he lives above the garage at his mom's house. At his house. mother's house. <laughs> Speaking of which, his mom's in the movie. But anyway, yeah, that's, and yes, his she is. dad. Yes, she is. And his dad. Yeah, that's true. Okay. More trivia. Come on. Okay, last I know bit you of, have one more. I have one more. Okay. Okay. So, Henry Hill's story was the basis of another movie that came out in 1990, which is My Blue Heaven. Heaven, which is oh, a which is a comedy starring Steve Martin that is very loosely based on Henry Hill's life <laughs> uh, after the events of Goodfellas when he's in witness protection. And My Blue mm-hmm. Heaven, My Blue Heaven was written by Nora Ephron, who was married to Nicholas Pileggi, who was the screenwriter of Goodfellas and had all had also right. written and all, wrote the book uh, Wise Guys that the movie is based on. And mm-hmm. she was inspired to write My Blue Heaven after overhearing all of the phone calls between. Nicholas Pileggi and Henry Hill. So right. while he was writing Goodfellas and talking to Henry Hill on the phone, she was overhearing mm-hmm. this and she wrote the comedy version, which was My Blue Heaven. They both came out the exact same year. Hey, Steve. Yeah. My Blue Heaven also answers the question, who makes the least <laughs> convincing mobster oh, in Hollywood? And that answer is Steve Martin. Steve Martin, not a very convincing mobster. No, he's that's not. not. I don't think that's actually his hair color. <laughs> Whatever. 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 Maybe the Swiss mafia, but not definitely not the Italian mob. Anyway, is that it? <laughs> the, we do the who made it? The Swiss mafia. Yeah, that's all I got. The Swiss mafia? Don't laugh at them. They were the main <laughs> villains in a show I co-wrote. The Swiss mafia. Was it? What, show Las, what, it was what, Las Vegas. Not, was it a comedy? It was. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, whatever. I played the lead villain. The Swiss Godfather? It, it, was a, it was a Nazi hat, and it had a and it had a chunk of Swiss cheese and a little symbol at the oh, top instead of oh, a... Oh, that's wonderful. Instead of a, a skull. Like the, like, the, anyway. like, like the real Swiss flag. Just a, <laughs> yes, just a big right. wedge of Swiss cheese right on the flag. Well, it's podcast would like to apologize to everyone in switzerland we understand that you are a, a clean and polite people with a dark past <laughs> anyway um uh let's say who made it can, yeah. we, can i do my part now it yeah. was directed by martin scorsese you know him you know martin scorsese whether you like it or not you live in the united states or you like movies at all i bet there's one movie that you really like maybe you don't i don't know maybe you only like sci-fi shoot 'em ups he's said a few things lately that has kind of pissed off some people in regards to the Marvel movies, but you have to understand where he's coming from. At no point, now or until he dies, which will probably be soon, I'm sorry, he's an older guy now, will he ever make a Marvel movie or a superhero movie that isn't the kind of director that he is? Take a look at his oeuvre yeah. and tell me, and one of the one of the byproducts of this, and I'm going to bring this up during this, is that guys like Martin Scorsese are having a hard time getting funding for their goddamn movies because back in the day if martin scorsese said yeah i'm thinking about making this crime film you mean like mean street well sure kind of like mean sort of yeah yeah. Well, how much money do you need? This much. You got it. That's it. Yeah. Now he's. They're like, who's Martin Scorsese? 
<laughs> or are there superheroes in it? Or, you know, something yeah. like that. He got funding for Hugo because he said he was going to be using a lot of special effects. It was going to be a very different movie for him, so he got funding. He had to beg for money for The Irishman, mm-hmm. and no one was funding. Martin Scorsese, one of the great... I'm. You should be glad Kubrick's dead, Steve. <laughs> in all honesty, in all seriousness, do you think Kubrick could get any money to do one of his movies now? No. 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 Unless he was actually going to actually do AI, maybe. Or or if he and was he willing... And he got the backing of... Yeah. Or if he was willing to work on a much smaller scale. Like, I think he could get funding for, like, an indie-level project, but, I mean, for, like, a big, like, Hollywood movie with movie stars in it and mm-hmm. stuff that... And, and mm-hmm. the, the, the freedom to, sh- to do, like, a year of principal photography <laughs> because he's so picky about takes. Like, I don't think yeah. he could... I don't think he could get funding for that kind of thing today, no. It's an interesting question if he would be using digital. That Yeah, that too. I, yeah. I don't know if he would... I don't know if he would cross over to... Despite the fact that they say, please go to digital. We don't... There's not enough film left in the world for another one of your movies. It's hard to say because Kubrick could go either way. Kubrick could be one of those guys that would be like, no, I must shoot it on film or it's not really a movie. Or he could... He did oh, embrace technology. Yeah, he, he did. not em- a yeah. Luddite. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know, like... And there are other directors like Werner Herzog, who mm-hmm. very much prefers film and has made that clear, but has mm-hmm. also... But has shot on digital. Like, it's not like he refuses to do it. No. You know. He understands the cost benefit yeah. to doing digital. So, yeah. I don't know. And we got off topic. Anyway, Martin <laughs> Scorsese, I love him. Yeah. And uh, that with only a couple of exceptions, um, I've loved every movie that he's ever He's made. a genius. So, he's, he's a genius. One of the greatest filmmakers who's ever lived. Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Alice Doesn't Live Here, Raging Bull. Uh, what was the one um, my brain's just completely crapping out? Gangs of New York. Oh, my God. Was Gangs of New York. His last big one. Yeah. Well, and then, and then um, the, uh, the Departed that Wolf he finally won the Oscar for. Which one? The Departed. Uh, the Departed, which they gave him the Oscar for because maybe they thought he was dying. And I mean, which, what which movie? For, which for most other directors would be probably the best movie they'd ever made. For Scorsese, it's like, well, sure. It was, you know, for Scorsese, it's pretty good. Give him the Oscar for that. I mean. Yeah, it's compared, all right. Yeah, for, but it's a very, it's a very good movie. Mm-hmm. Just a second, everyone. Yes? What do you think? Yes, I am. Why? <laughs> what do you need? You're checking why. Come here. Say hi to everyone. No, no, no. Come back here. Come back here. Be on camera. Why not? Are you wearing pants? <laughs> My daughter has a tendency to wander around the house in just her underwear and a t-shirt. I, I, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. <laughs> you would have. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Anyway, where were we? Oh, anyway. Martin, yeah, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Screenplay by Nicholas Pileggi. And uh, he wrote Casino, didn't he? I believe yeah, he, he did. did. Yeah. Um, and Martin Scorsese and a whole bunch of other people who improvised to provide dialogue to the scripts. <laughs> um <laughs> Based on Wise Guy by Nicholas Pileggi. Produced by Urban Winkler, who has produced everything. Yeah. A lot of it good. Um, like uh, Scorsese films, uh, The Right did, Stuff, uh, did, Rocky. Did, yeah, I was going to say he did Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> She's still upset. <laughs> oh, brother. Anyway. <laughs> I love being a dad. Uh, I love humiliating my kids on my Mm -hmm. podcast. (laughs) Starring Robert De Niro got top billing, even though he's not the central character. Mm -hmm. Um, Shit, I think he's third in line after after uh, Leota and Pesci. It's it's a Gene Hackman in Superman situation. I guess. Uh, Robert De Niro is Jimmy Conway. I don't need to tell you anything about Robert De Niro. Hopefully not. (laughs) If you've stumbled on this podcast and you're like, what?
what's a movie? <laughs> then maybe I need to tell you. But um, Robert De Niro is Jimmy Conway. Ray Liotta is Henry Hill. <coughs> we don't know Ray Liotta. He just died. Yes, he did, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, Joe Pesci is Tommy DeVito. You know Joe Pesci. Don't don't make me. I'll do Pesci for the entire fucking thing. Um, <laughs> you know who the fuck I am. Yeah. He was in Home Alone. Oh, that guy. Oh. Ooh, if you have more recognition of Joe Pesci from Home Alone than you do Goodfellas. Yeah, we can't be friends. Ooh. We yeah. <laughs> We're not going to get along. <laughs> Lorraine Bracco is Karen Hill. And you know her from The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. You're going to be hearing The Sopranos a lot. Yeah. So there you go. Um... Paul Servino is Paulie Cicero, and he's been in Reds, and uh, you guys probably remember him if you're old enough, or the first 900 episodes of Law and Order. Yeah, and also was he the original. He yeah. was in Law, and also one of the more surreal uh, guest appearances on Star Trek: The Next Generation. We're like, oh, that's even, right, as Worf's brother. Even as like a 14 year old, I was like, is that Paul Servino? <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing Why on Star on... Trek? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he's here, but it's a little weird. You he was on this before he did before he did Goodfellas. He would no, he was on no, after he, he Goodfellas. did no. This Star Trek was after Goodfellas. Goodfellas right. was ninety. His star he he was in I think the seventh season of TNG, which would have been 93, 94. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what made it so weird. I was like, is that Paul Zorino from Goodfellas <laughs> <laughs> in Star Trek? <laughs> Frank Severo as Frankie Carbone, and you saw him in The Godfather too. Chuck Lowe as Morris or Maury, as they call him in the movie. Morris Kessler. Um, he was in King of Comedy. Uh, Once Upon a Time in America and The Sopranos. Uh, Mike Starr. We may as well just do a show about Mike Starr at this he's, point. Yeah, he's right? been in everything. Yeah. Mike Starr is Frenchie and he's been in everything. And you know what? Here's how much work Mike Starr has gotten. This is why you know who Mike Starr is. He, he had four other movies coming out, including Goodfellas, the year that Goodfellas mm-hmm. came out. Yeah. He's had years where he had six movies that he was in. And not just like walked out. God damn it. Not just someone walking by, you know, him walking in the background, like dialogue lines. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Jeez. We should make a movie with him and with um, James Hong. <laughs> we should just make a movie with all the great characters. And it's just them arguing over who has more credits. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this is a long list and I just got lost. There's uh, Frank Vincent as Billy Bats. He was in Raging Bull. He played uh, Salvi, didn't he? He was Salvi in, in Raging Bull. Yes, that's Bull. right. Yes. And he was also in Casino. Uh, Frank DeLeo as Tootie Cicero, and you won't probably recognize him from a lot of stuff, but he was Michael Jackson's manager. So good for him. So did he have to go up to Michael and say, hey, Michael, I've got to leave. I'm gonna, <laughs> I need a few days off. Martin, I'm doing good films. You know what I think happened? Honestly? What? Who directed the video for Bad? <gasps> hey, that's right. It was Martin Scorsese. Michael Jackson made and, made Marty an offer he couldn't refuse. And, and Michael, Michael went, this is my man. <laughs> and and more than likely scorsese saw him and tucked him away somewhere <laughs> in the back of his head gonna use that guy for something mm-hmm. uh henny youngman as himself uh that i wish they hadn't because boy he looks old he's the wrong <laughs> age he's sure the wrong, he sure is the wrong age but it's nice to yeah, see him he is. Mm-hmm. uh gina mastro giacomo as janice rossi Catherine scorsese as tommy's mother and gosh she's sweet 
Yeah. It's, I, you know what? I usually don't like nepotism, but I don't, th- and she appears in Casino, I think, too, mm-hmm. briefly. And I don't think he gives her any lines. He goes, Ma, get in the scene, just do whatever. I need a body because, in this scene. Because the scene where they come home, where she catches them coming into the house to, to borrow a shovel yes. to, bury, to bury Billy Bats, that whole sequence is all improvised. Yeah. She just There's stuff around the table. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. I love It's just so great. We're out of nowhere. She produces, she magics out of thin air a painting, a painting that she's been working on. That apparently she had kept under the table that whole time. And you know what's also amazing about that scene? Have you noticed? All of them. Stop cussing. Yeah, that's right. But cool. There gets, it's, it's, it's a there's mother. A, you don't, talk, a you shot, don't cuss around somebody's mom. There's a shot where you see Pesci almost say, oh, fuck. But he goes, oh, fly. And then he covers his mouth with his yeah, hand. Yeah. It is just, it's just a little character thing that I just, I yeah. absolutely love. Because, anyway, they'll, because, because they'll murder people in cold blood, but they won't cuss in front of mom. <laughs> his sweet mom is in the movie and she's great. Actually, she is great. She's very, absolutely. Um, uh, I lost my place. Charles Scorsese is Vinny. Don't, he's barely in it. I think he's standing in a hallway and he goes, how are you doing? <laughs> and then he turns around and that's, that's his dad's full camp cameo in it um suzanne shepherd is karen's mother and she's been in movies like uh uncle buck and requiem for a dream debbie mazer as sandy and she's been in like entourage i think i've never watched the fucking show i don't jerry vale as himself julie gar again way old yeah julie, uh julie garfield is uh mickey conway christopher cerrone as young henry so a lot of these guys don't have anything um elaine kagan as henry's mother Bo star as Henry's father, and he was in a couple of the Halloween movies. Uh, Kevin Corrigan is Michael Hill, and he's had a weird career, but he's been in, <laughs> you've seen him in The Departed and Superbad. Uh, Michael Imperioli, again, a spider! And you know him <laughs> by dying in The Sopranos! So you'd be like, oh, look, well, he died, he died he's, in Goodfellas, and he died in The Sopranos. He's the guy who gets to die. <laughs> Bobby Vinton as Bobby Vinton, don't don't know why they listed it that way. Um, no, it was the real Bobby. It was Bobby Vinton's son was, who played him. Oh, was it Bobby was Vinton's yeah. son? Yeah. And his name is Bobby Vinton. His name is Robbie Vinton. It doesn't say Robbie. Oh, Robbie Vinton is Bobby Vinton. Oh, they tricked me. My old eyes. <laughs> Frank Pellegrino is Johnny Dio. Tony Sirocco as Tony Stax, The Sopranos, and mm. Lil Samuel L. Jackson as yeah. Stax Edwards. There was a lot more names here. I could have gone much longer. Oh, but yes. I chose for brevity to only list these people. Uh, cinematography by Michael Bauhaus, Scorsese film, and tons of other movies. Edited by Thelma Schumacher, one of the greatest editors ever known, largely from working on Scorsese films, mm-hmm. but she's also done tons of other uh, tons of other work. Dis- distributed by Warner Brothers. Release date, September 19th, 1990. Running time, 146 minutes. Budget, 25 million. Adjusted for inflation, 55.9 million. Box office, 47.1 million adjusted for inflation 105.1 million where back in the day in 1990 that is a smash bang hit thank you so much for making the movie let's make more and more of these wonderful dramas not anymore no not if it doesn't make 300 million dollars and fuck you hey steve did you notice that there was somebody that i left off who did you left off the composer that's right because there ain't one no what did he do instead he used uh music he used actual like popular he music from the from actual 
music from the time period. Yeah. yeah. And you, you can sort of I trace think... like how the years go by as the styles of the music change. And the cars and everything else. Oh, yeah. Cause oh, they yeah, really yeah. don't give you, they don't give you too many year stops, right? No, I think there's, there's just one the... at the very beginning. Right. And one right before he gets arrested. When you get the cars. date in 1980. Yeah. 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 The rest of the time we're set adrift. We have to infer by the clothes, mm -hmm. by the cars and by the music where, 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 where we're at for right. the most part. Thank you for not treating us like dum-dums. Thanks, Marty. Now, I'm before we actually start reviewing this movie, some people may, who have been paying attention, may say, Jason, this movie has a whole lot of narration in it, and you hate narration. That's right. And I will say, normally, yes, I would, unless the narration serves a purpose. And this narration serves a purpose, which is, we don't want this to be an eight-hour-long goddamn movie. <laughs> We're covering the career of someone who starts when he's, what, 14? Yeah. From the age of 14 to about his late 40s. Mm -hmm. I think. Something like that. Late 40s, early 50s, something like that. And they're also trying to provide us with an understanding about how the mob works. And we can't show all of it. They can't just, they. I would love if they could, but if this was an eight-part miniseries by Ken Burns called The Mob, then we would be able to do, you know, do something like that, but we can't. We're, we're lucky this movie is only 146 minutes mm -hmm. long. Um, because it could be longer. So I don't mind the narration. The narration serves a purpose. The narration holds our hand as we fucking sprint through this movie. Well, and, and also the, yeah. the, the narration isn't doing what bad narration often does, which is just doubling what we see on the screen. You know, no, there, you're right. Not, it are, is giving an explanation. Yeah. It's telling us things that we don't get from what we see. A lot of bad narration, like we'll see something happening in a scene and the narration just tells us what we're watching. I'll use and, it. I'll use it. Yeah. I'll use a good example. As soon as my dog finishes killing something or dying, I don't know which one it is. Um, the last scene between Tommy and uh, not between Tommy, between Henry and Jimmy when they're in the diner. Yes. They freeze frame on their faces. And it's if you didn't have the narration in there. All you'd have is Jimmy saying, I got a job for you to do. Go down and take care of this guy. He hands him he hands him a, a book of matches. Mm -hmm. Henry takes the book of matches. He glances at it. He puts it in his pocket. That's the scene, right? Yeah. But they provide us with what is actually going on. And so they freeze frame on on, on, on Jimmy's face. And he says, Jimmy had never asked me to whack anybody before. Had never set me on a hip before. I knew that if I went down to Florida, I was never coming back again. Right. How do you put that in, in dialogue? You can't, right? Right. There's not enough there to imply, because here's the thing. You have one character who is trying to pass this off as like, everything's going to be fine here, do this job, right? And then you have another character going, okay, and then all right. of a sudden he's in he's in with the feds, right? And we never understand what the reasoning was behind it. And rather than constructing a scene where he has to say, where he has to say this to Karen after the fact, which then makes the movie even fucking longer than it already yeah. is, they do the narration over. So, can we let's start let's go let's, let's do it let's go Ready? into the world <laughs> let's run me and you away from the cars that we just poured gasoline all over Yay. into the into the ever fun <laughs> and i have to admit there are certain times where this looks like a lot of fun world of course of good fellas steve yeah take it away oh boy we begin in what is known in the film biz as in media res that's right that means we're starting we're, we're starting in the middle of things we open with three characters who we there's some 
titles. There's, There's yeah, some we, titles. We get the, the actors' with, titles, yeah. But it just has car, you know, traffic. That's sounds. right. Tra- traffic sounds as the name sort of zoom by, and mm-hmm. we we open on the car, and it's uh, three guys in the car, and Henry Ray mm-hmm. Liotta is driving, and Jimmy Robert De Niro is in the the, the front passenger seat, and Tommy uh, Joe Pesci is in the back, and they're driving, mm-hmm. and everything seems cool, and then there's a bump, and and, a series of bumps, and Henry's like, "What the fuck was what that? The fuck is that? I did I didn't hit anything. What was that?" And then mm-hmm. it dawns on Henry what it might be, and he's like, "Oh mm-hmm. no, you don't think." <laughs> pull over. Yeah, so they pull over along the side of the mm-hmm. road, and uh, we notice that De Niro is holding his shovel. We also notice that um, uh, <laughs> we see that Tommy has a big kitchen knife. Out. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, first he's reaching into his jacket, like he's uh, holding yeah. something, and then he pulls it out, and it's a kitchen knife. And so uh, Henry opens the trunk, and there's a man in the trunk. After a few moments of racketing up tension, because That's we right. can hear the car jostling, it's the, back and, and it's thump. We hear the thumping. There's obviously somebody mm-hmm. in the trunk. So they open the trunk, and there's a man in the trunk, and he doesn't look very happy. Nope. And uh, and he and, says, "No, please, no, please." Yeah. And Tommy goes, <laughs> and "The motherfucker, the motherfucker is still alive." And then he gets to stabbing, mm-hmm. and he stabs and him. The- Oh, it's the squelchiest, Ooh. worst stab he, sound effect. He stabs him a whole bunch. And then when he's oh, done stabbing, God. when he's done stabbing, Jimmy De Niro walks up and he says, I got an idea. Let's make sure he's dead. And he shoots him a bunch of times. And he ventilates him. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, the body twitches. And then Henry slams the trunk shut and we freeze That's... frame on his face. And we get one of the best opening lines of narration in the history of any movie where he says, mm-hmm. as long back as I can remember, I always wanted Ever to be a gangster. I, was a kid, <laughs> I always wanted to be a gangster. And we start Cut to right credits. from there. Yeah. I go from rags to riches. I always knew I'd go from rags to riches. <laughs> So this might actually be a very short coverage because we have to move through it quickly because the movie moves through. Guys, this movie is a sprint. You yeah, you weren't There's, kidding. The pace is this, breakneck. If you yeah, the pace is breakneck. There's always something happening. So we cut it we cut to it says the Bronx is the not the Bronx, it's the it's Queen. No, it is it's Brooklyn. It is, it's Brooklyn. Which, it's Brooklyn, thank you. And we cut from a kid running across the street into buildings. There's always movement in every single one of the scenes, right? Yeah. There's always something happening. There's never a point in which we stop and we get a vista of New York or a vista of Brooklyn or there's no interstitials. It goes from action, 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 action. It might slow down a little bit in a couple of areas, but not much. Mm -hmm. And so it just, if you're hooked by that opening shot, if you're not throwing up, because some people were like, (laughs) because this is Martin Scorsese letting you know worse things are coming. Yeah. This is not, this is not the worst of it, but this is how we're introducing yeah. you to these and, characters yeah. and and the violence in the movie is not going to be sexy or glorified or, no. or beautified and like if you if you're grossed out by joe pesci stabbing that guy in the trunk that's what you're in it's, for it's mundane pedestrian violent yeah, yeah so we find out that uh we see it's a close-up of uh, him as a kid with his eyes describing how he always wanted to be a mobster because they were always the coolest guys in town they yeah. always had the best suits they always had the best cars there was a place across the street a pizza place 
run by uh, Tootie. It's not Paulie. Tootie. Tootie, who's Paulie's brother. Tootie. Yeah. He was Paulie's brother. And um, everybody, anybody that was anybody, he looked up to the guys because they had, they commanded a certain amount of respect. Right? Mm-hmm. And so he starts working over the pizza place and he starts getting these little jobs. And there's, this, there's an incident where he sees a guy who's been shot in the hand and he gets a bunch of shit because he took a bunch of towels to wrap the guy's hand hand up. Tootie's like, we gotta, we gotta toughen you up, kid. Yeah, you wasted all those aprons <laughs> on that guy's you, hand. <laughs> aprons, all these, five towels. Um, but what happens is, is that he starts working for the guys across the street and they're all wise guys. Yeah. They're all, and some of them are made, some of them are not, some of them are lieutenants, some of them aren't, but everybody knows that's where they congregate. Yeah. And he does that until, and he stops going to school and then his dad finds out that he's not going to school and then his dad beats him with a belt. Yeah. Violently. With Very the belt, violently. With yeah. the belt. Yeah. And he tells, he tells Tootie that he can't work there anymore and Tootie goes, oh yeah? <laughs> we'll fix this. We'll fix this. How do they fix it, Steve? Well, they find, they, they park outside the post office until Henry points out his family's mailman and then they mm-hmm. go and they violently threaten this mailman and tell him from now on any letters from this kid's school, you bring him here. You don't bring him to his house. And then they stick his head in the pizza oven. Yeah. And it turns out they stopped delivering any mail. <laughs> they, they, the post office guy is house. like, I'm not giving him any mail. Fuck it. <laughs> so, but after that, Henry is free to work for uh, mm-hmm. for Tootie and, 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 and for really Tootie. for Pauly. Uh, and he does things like yeah. he delivers sandwiches, he gives people drinks. It's Parks cars. Yeah. He meets Jimmy for the first time and Jimmy's a big deal and he spreads a bunch of cash around and he explains that Jimmy likes to steal um, but he also performed hits and never really bothered him. You know, he's a he's a good guy but he can't be made. Why can't he be made? Because he's you, Irish. You can, yeah, you can only be made if you're full-blooded Italian. Mm-hmm. And that means that Henry can't be made because he's only half Italian. Yeah. He's half I, half Irish and half Italian. Yeah. Right, exactly. And uh, so he kind of starts working for Jimmy. Um, then he meets Tommy, who's around his same age, and they do things like they. So they kind of explain what happens is in order to get product, you kind of stick up one of the trucks, and the guy pretend gets out, pretends to be upset. <laughs> Yeah. And then you pay him off and you stick some money in his wallet. You threaten him a little bit by saying, we know who you are by taking his truck driver's license. And um, then you take that product and you sell it on the street. Yep. Right. Yep. And they, what they were doing mostly was selling cigarettes. Yeah. And they were selling them to everybody. And they would and sell they it sig- at, at a crazy discount because they got mm-hmm. it for free anyway. So no matter what they sold That's it right. for, it was a hundred percent profit. That's right. Even to cops, but yeah. they had to put some money in it, money in the, in the thing when they gave the cops the, the cartons of cigarettes. But you know, it was the cost to do business right yeah but then two assholes <laughs> and here's the here's the amazing part about this opening sequence as henry is describing this life and this lifestyle you know i think is this the bit where he said that's what the that's what the fbi the feds never understood that the mob was like the police for people who couldn't go to the police yes right okay um he explains it in a way that makes perfect sense right yeah he explains it in a way that makes it seem reasonable you know even um you know he gets pinched some assholes come up while he's selling cigarettes uh, as people are leaving a factory and he's like, no, no, it's okay. Here, take my cigarettes. Where'd you get these cigarettes? I'm, I'm, I'm upset for the R.J. Reynolds company or <laughs> yeah, something. Exactly. You think um, this is a victimless crime, son? He gets pinched. He has to go in front of the lawyer. Uh, go in front of the judge. Uh, a lawyer runs up and tells him, "Don't testify." And then kind of gives a nod and a wink to the judge. I think he gets no time. And Jimmy takes him aside and he says. I'm proud of you. And he's like, I thought you'd be mad at me. And he said, no, no, you did. You learned two important lessons. What are those two important lessons? 
against? Uh, never rat never on rat your friends on your and always keep your mouth shut. Shut. And then he gives them some real money yeah. into his And he, he calls it his graduation present. His graduation present. He comes outside and everybody's there. Paulie, who is who is the capo de capo, he's, yeah. the, he's the main guy. Yeah. And Tootie and everyone else. And they're all clapping saying, hey, you popped your cherry. And they give him, you know, they, they congratulate him and stuff like that. And then we cut to after all of this and making it seem like it's a great family and everyone sticks together and they're the cops for people who can't go to the cops. What do they show him doing? Breaking windows in a car lot. Oh, that's right. And then and, and then burning the car. Dumping gas. Yeah. Ga- yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> dumping gasoline and then making it explode. Yeah. While saying over the narration, one day a group of kids carried my mother's groceries all the way home. I didn't ask him to. Uh-huh. They yeah. didn't ask him to. They just did it. Out of respect. Mm-hmm. Where do we cut to next, Steve? Uh, is this when we cut to him as an adult? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we get to him as an adult. Can't remember where we first hit, where we first meet up with him. It's I think it's he's going into the he's going into the restaurant and he has uh, he's got uh, some winter coats and the guy that oh yeah the, the guy that who the, the the guy who moves the merchandise for them is complaining because he's like it's the middle of summer mm-hmm. what am I going to do with winter coats but that's what yeah, he's got put them in the freezer yeah <laughs> yeah and it's called what the bamboo room I think it's called the bamboo room. yes yes and he goes there and then we get the most famous scene in the movie <laughs> yep. Where he's laughing at Tommy's joke, but Tommy wants to know what Pretend. the fuck is so funny. What the fuck is so funny? What the fuck is so funny? And then finally, you know, Henry goes, fuck Tommy. Yeah, he relents. He's like, okay, you're fucking with me. Yeah, you're fucking yeah. with me. And he's like, they're laughing about that. And then the dumbass, I have absolutely no idea how to protect myself or make, make you know, good choices, walks up to Tommy and wants to talk to him about his outstanding oh bill my God, in front yes. of all all of his in front friends. of all of his friends yes now steve <laughs> Uh-huh. I don't care how much money Tommy owes me. I have no doubt in my mind that if I brought it up with no one else was around, I'd say, hey, Tommy, you owe $7,000. Do you think maybe you can pay some of it off? When alone, he'd be like, yeah, no, don't worry about it. And if that's all that happened, okay, thanks, Tommy. Thanks for not shooting me. <laughs> <laughs> right. What I wouldn't do is go up to Tommy in front of his friends and oh, go, this no. is a lot. This is seven Gs. This is a lot of money. You've got to pay me back. No. What does he do? <laughs> he says, how much money do you think we fucking bring into this place? Right. And then the and then the poor the poor waiter is just standing there because he told his boss that they were apparently running up a bill. And, of course, he gets a ice thrown at him. And they're all fine. And everything's fine. He just brushes them off. Right? Yeah. And then, was is it the next scene? Or it's very soon after the, the, the rest? restaurant guy goes to Polly. Um, yep. Which is probably what he should have done in the first place if he was, you know, if, if he knew how volatile Tommy was. And mm-hmm. he basically says to Polly, like, look, you know, Tommy's, he's, you know, he's crazy. He owes me money. I can't talk to him. You know, you need to do something about it. And Polly's like, mm-hmm. hey, he does, hey, I try to tell him they don't listen to me, he's, you know. They don't listen to me. And then he goes, hey, oh, I think it would be good if you bought into, into my restaurant business. Right. And don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> If you don't need them to, don't don't ask <laughs> right. the, the mob to buy into your because they're just going to use it as a front. Yeah, that's which, all they're going to do, which is what they do immediately. <laughs> But uh, Polly plays coy, and then he reluctantly agrees, right? Yeah. And then the dumbass owner of the restaurant implies that it might be a good idea to kill Tommy. Yes. And Paul Servino has a look in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) 
where he goes from looking like a nice, happy guy to someone who could immediately have you killed. Yeah, and not think another thing about it for the rest of his nope. life. While, yep. while, eat, while eating a sausage sandwich. Yes, exactly. And he, he, a sausage um, sandwich that he probably made himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so now we get an explanation as to what happens when you make this kind of deal with the mob, right? Yeah. They take over distribution. They take over everything. They run illegal, you know, illegal goods through through the place. They they run up your they'll run up your your debt by pay, making purchases and not paying people off or paying people back even yeah. because they're taking that. Mer- yeah, go ahead. And, and also, no matter once you make the mob your partner, you owe them a given amount of money in a certain uh-huh. amount of time. And when you owe them, you owe them. And it right. doesn't matter if business is slow or what. Like they don't mm-hmm. care. It's as as Henry says in his narration, fuck you, pay me. Right. So. Until eventually when there's no more money and you can't you can't uh, do anything else, what do you got to do? You got to burn the place down for riches. Yep, which is exactly what happens. Mm-hmm. We cut outside of the bamboo room after they've planted all of the uh, the stuff to burn it down and Henry and, and Tommy have a discussion about Goyles. Yeah, well, because Tommy likes this girl, but she don't want to go out with an Italian all by, all by herself because she doesn't trust Italians. Can you believe it she's prejudiced against italians a jew broad and she's a jew broad um so he asks he says look he she has a friend and uh he wants henry to go with him so they can go on a double date so he can go out with this girl that he yeah. likes and henry's and not then too they crazy say about the place that. is on fire they've been talking so long with the place <laughs> yeah, exactly it's starting to smoke and they have to take off so they take off we cut to the date and it's not good well because henry doesn't want to be there good. and henry has like he doesn't henry has a meeting afterwards i think with Polly or toady or somebody and he wants to go and he's just mm-hmm. like, all right, you know, I'm out of here. He's always looking at his watch. And the narration switches. To who, yeah. Steve? Um, to uh, Karen, who is to his Karen, date. Yeah. Who describes the date like this. He was always looking at his watch. He wasn't interested. And he was yanking me out of the car and uh, yanking me through a door. And then he finally just brought her home. And he, it, it was not a good, it was not a good day, was it, Steve? No, not at all. But she did agree to go out on another day with him. Right. But. And he stood her up. Yep. <laughs> and she, yeah, he, he just doesn't show at all. And so it's just her by herself with, mm-hmm. with Tommy and his date. And But she doesn't take that lying down. She gets pissed off and has Tommy take her to where he knows Henry is. And she goes mm-hmm. right up to Henry. Because they're like, eating dinner and it's Tommy eating, not giving a shit that she's sitting there by her, by herself. And she shows up at the pizza place. Yeah. She's like, where the Yelling fuck do you get him. off? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that apparently made Henry hard as... <laughs> Yeah. He's like, oh, because yeah. Always, he was really interested in her. And now we get the romance. Yeah. Now they're in love. They're in love and we're seeing a whole bunch of stuff of them going out on a date. And we have the single shot that every fucking cretinous movie nerd has to bring up <laughs> yep. as if it's important. Hey, Steve, is this single shot important? Um, It's not the most important shot in the movie. I mean, it is. It, it, Why? it, it, it establishes yeah. it's it's. It shows Henry showing off for Karen because mm-hmm. he. It's about they're they're going to the Copacabana and yep. He walks in like through the back and he walks through the kitchen and like he knows everybody. Mm-hmm. He says hi to people and everybody knows him. So it's he knows obvious people 
in the kitchen. Yeah. He knows people just standing in a hallway. So it, it gives Karen the message that Henry's a big shot. Henry gets there and they bring out a table and set it up a special for them right yeah. up front. Yeah. And she says, and Bobby Vinton, one night Bobby Vinton sent them champagne. Yeah. And she's talking about who he knows and all of these important people and all this other stuff. We cut to them at a uh, country club that I think her parents belong to. Right. Where he's going to try to pay the guy in cash. And she says, don't do You have to sign for it. Yeah. yeah. Do we do we tip? And she's like, no. And then the dumbest man <laughs> on the face of the fucking earth shows up to say hi to Karen. Yes. He says hi to Karen along with her mm-hmm. obviously mobbed up date. Mm-hmm. And who could who could kill him in an instant who, even here at the couple, country yes. club. Could murder him in front of all these people. I don't even remember his name. I'm going to assume it's yeah. Chad. It, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it would have to be. Um, okay, yeah. and they have this brief little scene because Scorsese is setting up this guy. Oh boy, <laughs> yes, he he sure is. So then we cut to Maury's wigs. That's and right. And we meet Maury. Oh, and Maury's and in Maury, some trouble. Well, Maury is a prick. And Maury, yeah, yeah. Maury owes Jimmy money. And he's saying, fuck him. Fuck him. I'm not paying. And he's saying right. that while Jimmy, he's talking Jimmy to Henry. In, in Jimmy in the wig shop. Jimmy is right in the next room, like waiting, pacing back and forth like a caged lion. Mm-hmm. And Henry is trying to reason with Maury and saying, look, just pay him. You owe him the money. You said you'd have it today. And Maury's giving him all this shit and saying, fuck him. While Jimmy is watching the fucking awful commercial. Watching the wig that, commercial. Yeah, Maury is produced with it. And fi- finally, Jimmy gets tired of waiting and just walks back, puts the phone cord around Maury's neck and is like, give me the fucking Knock- money. Give me the fucking knocking money. Off Maury's, knocking off Maury's wig. <laughs> knocking off his wig in the process. Give me the fucking money today. Now. Now. And Maury's like, okay, kid. Okay. I was just kidding. <laughs> Meanwhile, they someone knows that, that Henry's at that place because they get a phone call and on Maury's shop, shop phone. Yeah. And he answers it and he says, yeah. And he takes off. And Jimmy says, is everything okay? And he said, no, nothing. something happened to Karen. He pulls up to talk to Karen, who's at, at a, uh, you know, a phone booth. See, before cell phones, kids, you yeah. used to have to put phones on the street that you put money in. You had to put to money use. in a phone to call people. He pulls up in a car that I owned when I was hey. in college. I didn't have the convertible one, though. I had the hardtop, 66 Chrysler Newport. Still pretty Recognized nice. Recognized it instantly. I was driving that car when I saw this movie. Um, <laughs> and he brings her into the car. And she says that Chad, the dumbest man on the face of the fucking earth, um, attempted to rape her. Yes. Basically. <coughs> Bad move, Chad. He, he was grabbing her and touching her. She was telling him to stop. He wouldn't stop. And then apparently he threw her from the car. Yeah. And um and, Henry and called by the, the way, Chad and... Chad lives no, and by the way, Chad lives right across the street from Karen. So Henry knows Not exactly how happens. to find him. <laughs> Not after this. Chad lives in a hospital. Eating food through a straw. <laughs> yeah. Because what happens is Henry drives Karen home. Mm-hmm. And after she leads her into the house, she goes in the house. And it just so happens that Chad and his buds are standing outside in the driveway. Yeah. Playing over the, going over their Corvette. Sure. Doing some fucking shit, drinking a beer. So Henry walks over there, grabs his gun. Ch- uh, Henry grabs his gun st- and tucks it in the waistband of his pants, walks over. Chad, who, as you have pointed out, is literally 
the dumbest man in the world <laughs> sees Henry walking across the street, all business, murder in his how eyes. Many, how many words does he get out, and what are oh, the words? God, what? Hey, uh, hey fucko. Yeah, and like, that's as much he, as he gets. He actually tries to talk tough to the this boyfriend of the gu- of the girl she <laughs> the, of the girl he assaulted earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, Henry pulls the gun out of his out of his waist, doesn't shoot him, but pistol whips him, caves in his fucking skull with this gun in front of all his friends, mm-hmm. knocks him oh, down, God, yeah. be- beats him mercilessly in the face with this gun. Um pulls his uh, takes the gun, points it at one of the guys who says, "Don't shoot." Yeah, and then he says he says if he says to to Chad, he says, "If you I swear to God, if you ever go near her again i'll fucking kill you and mm-hmm. then he, and then he walks back across the street he walks back across the street <laughs> hands the bloody gun to karen who is watching this mm-hmm. from the front door and says hide this and karen says out loud there are a lot of girls who if their boyfriend had given them a gun to hide they would have ran but i gotta admit it made her hot it turned me on yeah it yeah. turned her on and so they they they're that's cemented right there. That's it. Yeah. I know if if any girl dropped me off after I'd been sexually assaulted, walked across the street and pistol whipped a guy in oh, his God. driveway. That's a keeper. <laughs> that's a keeper. That's right a keeper. There. Absolutely. But then they get married mm-hmm. because uh, there's that he's been lying. <laughs> she's been lying to her mom. She told him that he's Jewish. Half Jewish. Yeah. Half Jewish. Yeah. They get married twice. They have a Jewish, the small Jewish ceremony at, at her house. And then they have the big, big celebration yeah. with the mob family. Yeah. And Karen is still narrating and she's telling him about how everybody's named after each other. Everyone's named either Peter or Paul and they all have kids named Peter or Paul. <laughs> yeah. Or, or uh, what's the girl's name? Marie. Everyone's yeah. named Marie. And they have Paul Servino introducing her people. He's like, this is little Polly, and this is Paul, and this is Petey, and here's Pete, and here's Marie. And she's just like explaining how it's all whirlwind. And then she gets to, they, she understands that uh, everyone is going to give them an envelope full of money. Mm-hmm. Just a little something to help you get started out. There's a little something to help her get started. It's cutting away to make it seem kind of disoriented and fast paced to match how she was feeling kind of overwhelmed dizzy and they're dancing and she's like we left the bag of money and you know henry's like nobody's gonna steal it here (laughs) yeah don't worry about it (laughs) don't worry about it and now they're married and everything's happy the end wasn't that a great movie well you're skipping over a few things what did i skip i didn't skip over anything fuck you well i mean as it turns out Henry, yeah. Henry is not always the best husband because hmm? they move in with her parents at first. Yes. And, and Henry, fan, this is one of the funniest scenes in the movie. Henry's never around. Uh, her parents want to know what Henry does for a living, why he's always they away. Know why he's always away. And they're waiting for him to come home. It's late. Right, right. And her mother is complaining. Where is he? Who are these friends of his that what? he wants to stay out? Yeah. Karen's defending him saying, Ma, he just wants to go out. Just leave him alone. You never... <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my favorite lines. You never cared if daddy... Wait, no, she said, your father never did this. She said, your fa- daddy never went out. <laughs> she said, leave your father out of this. He hasn't digested a good meal in six weeks. <laughs> Henry comes home. His 
His mother-in-law starts yelling at him. The minute he comes home, he turns around, gets back in the t- car with Tommy. And he, le- he he turns around and walks out laughing. Mm-hmm. Like, as mm-hmm. if I'm going to stand still for this shit. <laughs> exactly. But eventually they move out. Right. Now, is this when we do the Lufthansa thing? Um, yeah, it's around this time. Uh, okay, so yeah. there's a guy named Frenchie. He works at the airport, and uh, all this money comes in, you know, from foreign, from, you know, GIs working or whatever. They right. exchange their bills for local cash, and that cash has to come back, and why don't we take it? And they go, great. And three, they go in, they take the money, they do the right thing, they give Polly his cut, and they all have a really good time, and everyone's happy, right? Steve, the end. Uh... The end of the movie. <laughs> Except for the part where Jimmy tells everybody involved, okay, here's your money. Now, don't do anything stupid no, with this. No, this is, you're thinking of the second one. Oh, that's, that, oh, that's, no, the, no, the first the one first is, The first one yeah, was the, simple. The first they one isn't, isn't as big. And they yeah. walked in, yeah. right? They gave Polly his cut. They said, oh, this is going to be great. We cut over to, we cut over to, um, excuse me, <clears throat> to uh, Henry. They got a house. Everything's going that's great. Right. Oh, and this is where, and Henry tells us that it, it, the, that, that airport heist kind of became something that they did repeatedly he said if whenever we needed money we just robbed the airport mm-hmm. yeah and uh we have karen explaining what it's like when the feds want to come uh and invest you know search the house for stuff and she also has a reaction to what the other wives are like <laughs> where she goes to some sort of makeup party and she's like they all had bad skin and children in jail and they talk about how they beat their kids yeah and she gets nervous she says she says to henry henry god forbid that you ever go to jail what would we be the kids do when what does what does Henry tell her? He says nobody goes to jail because it's people the only who, people go to jail. Yeah, keep going. Oh, I forget his. He uses a racial slur. The exact line we can't uh, use. Yeah, we. I won't say the actual words, but he says basically only people who don't think it through or who are too stupid get get yeah, arrested. The only people who want to go to jail are people who want to go to jail. Right. He implies that the guy that what's her name's husband went to jail because of her. He wanted to get away from her. That's right. Yeah. He said the only people that go to jail are N-word stick-up men who who get caught because they fell asleep in the getaway car. In the getaway car, yeah. And then he fucks her and everything's fine. Yeah. Until we find out that Fridays at the Copacabana are for the wives, but what are Saturdays for, Steve? The girlfriends. Uh Uh-huh. Henry's got a girlfriend. Henry's got a girlfriend named... (laughs) I don't think that's her name. No, her name isn't... Might as well be. What did she... I hate her. Janice. Janice is, is, Janice? His, is his first girlfriend. Yes, Janice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they're at the Copa and he's there with Janice and they're all... All the guys are there with their girlfriends, right? Old guys yeah. with young girls. It's just gross. Yeah. And uh, Karen is starting to suspect something. Indeed. But wait, before we do that, something else happens. So uh, one of the fronts, one of the businesses, quote unquote, that Henry owns is a bar. And he is in the bar, and he is there with Jimmy. And there's another person there named Billy Bats. Yeah, and Billy just got out of prison. And Billy is a made man. Yes. And what does that mean, Steve? Made man basically means you are an official member of the crime family. You are part of the crew. You're you're hooked up. You're figured in. And nobody is allowed to fuck with you. You are untouchable. You are untouchable. You can fuck with anybody you want to, but no one can fuck with you. If you want to hit a made guy, 
now you have to get permission. And you have to right. go through all these channels in order to be able to do it. And who walks into the bar? It's Tommy. Yay. And they all have drinks and they laugh and they slap each other on the back because <laughs> it's a happy reunion. Yes. Da- and Calm, stable, reasonable Tommy. <laughs> nope. Billy Bats decides to bust Tommy's balls a little bit because he remembers Tommy back when he was a kid and he used to shine shoes, didn't yeah. he? Yeah. Yes, he did. He had a shine box. Mm-hmm. And Tommy's like, I don't shine shoes anymore. Perhaps you haven't heard. Yeah. I don't shine shoes anymore. I kill people. Yeah. I kill people and I'm unstable. I'm an unstable <laughs> kill person. If someone wants someone killed, they give it to me and I kill them. I don't have any problems with it. Sometimes I kill people just because I want to kill people. I kill a lot of people. I don't have to. I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does. No, what happens is Billy says, go get your fucking shine box. That start. They prevent a fight. And, and, and Tommy leaves. To, uh, Tommy leaves, but he says, keep him here. Yeah. Right. He leaves. Hours go by. Billy, for whatever reason, has been left unattended at the bar <laughs> drunk. And he's the only one there except for, except for Jimmy and, uh, mm-hmm. and Henry. And then Tommy comes in, walks up to him and then starts beating him with a pistol as well. Yeah. Right. And while Jimmy kicks him. Jimmy joins in and, and Hen- kicks him. Yeah. And Henry locks the door. And then he's about to shoot Billy Bats in the mouth, but his gun is broken and it can't because he's been using it to beat someone up with. <laughs> right. They wrap him up in tablecloths, and this is one of the one of the things about the Tommy character. As they're wrapping him up in tablecloths, he looks at Henry and what does he say? I didn't want to get blood on your floor. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he's considerate. They drag him to the car, but they need a shovel. So they go to Tommy's mom's house to get a <laughs> shovel. Tommy's mom wake up because she's an Italian mother, she insists that they all eat. So they yeah. all sit there and eat. It's Henry's it's, going. It's the funny. Yeah. It's the funniest edit in the movie because because we <laughs> yeah. cut from them in the dark kitchen where Jimmy is trying to you know being very nice about it, but trying to tell mm-hmm. Tommy's mom like no 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 we just need to get something real quick and go and you just you know you go back to bed and we go from no we we, we can't stay we have to go cut they're all sitting around the table eating mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hilarious just talking about stuff yeah right and, and you get the impression they've been there for hours. Like nobody is yeah. in any rush at all. Except Henry's going out of his mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he knows, he seems to know how bad this is, but, but, uh, Tommy and Jimmy who know just as well, what they just did could have massive repercussions. Mm-hmm. They seem as calm as anything. They're joking around. They're joking about how quiet Henry's being, you know, she, his mom shows off a painting. They remark about how much he looks like the guy they just killed. Yeah. And Tommy's got to borrow a knife to cut the, the paw off. Yeah. Of the, <laughs> yeah. The Cause the cover, the cover, Cover story is that he hit an animal, and they're gonna, you know, mm-hmm. they need the shovel to bury the because animal. Tommy that he hit. is covered in blood. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. How? What are you doing? Where are you covered in blood? I hit an animal, mom. Mm-hmm. Then we cut to the driving scene briefly. We right. don't have to go through the entire thing, the thing that opened this movie. And then we pull over and we cover the stabbing and the shooting again, but this time it has the dialogue over it of, of Henry explaining how bad this fucking is. Yeah. And then they bear. Yeah. Right. Cut to um, Karen suspects something because she shows up at the girlfriend's house pressing every single button on the yeah. apartment door with her baby. And she's telling everybody, the woman that lives, Janice, who lives at this apartment, is a fucking whore and if you didn't get that message she's screaming it so loud that everyone in the block now knows that Janice is a fucking whore right yep, yep. but that's fine that's fine now I may be mixing some stuff up does he go to jail before or after the big Lufthansa heist? um 
I think it's before. <clears throat> I think it's before too. So anyway, one morning Henry wakes up and Karen is pointing a gun at his face. Yeah, that's not a very nice way to start the day. And she's like, "Tell tell me, do you love her?" And he's like, "No, I don't. Of course I don't. Don't, baby. It's okay. Please don't shoot me." And she, you know, he talks her down, and as soon as he gets the gun away from her, he smacks her around. Yeah, right. And he says, "I don't like. I don't have enough to worry about." Mm-hmm. Cut to a meeting with Polly and 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 Jimmy. And Jimmy, yeah, basically telling Henry, "Look, you got to keep your marriage together. You can't, you know, you you have to do right by your wife. So you know, you can't like." And they're basically saying <laughs> they. The way they phrase it is great because they're like, look, look, hey, hey, you're a grown man. You can do whatever you want. Whatever you want. But but you have to do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? So, but Paulie says, look, here's what's going to happen. You go. You're going to go down. Go down to Florida with Jimmy for a few days. You know, get some sun. Yeah. And there's also this little thing we need to take care of. Right. And then when you come back, go home and, and, and go back to your wife. And in the meantime, I'll talk to her and I'll straighten this all out. Mm-hmm. So Henry's like, which okay. could mean killer, but they don't kill her anyway. <laughs> no. <laughs> so he goes down and does the job, which winds up with them threatening to throw a man to the lions. Yes, and I love the uh, Henry in the narration says they must really throw people to the lions down here because as soon as we <laughs> went over to that lion cage, he gave it right up. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it turns out that his sister or something knew a fed, and then yeah. it got investigated, and then he went to court, and then he got sentenced to. Yeah. Uh oh. Oh well. So he goes, gets in a car, and he says, "Take me to jail." <laughs> but jail don't seem that bad. No, because a bunch of the mob guys are in there. Because a bunch of the mob guys are in there, and they basically Paulie live together and, and do whatever they want in a one big room, and they make great big meals for themselves, and they play cards, and they get lobsters shipped yeah. to them. The guards are and, all on the take. Mm-hmm, and in the meantime, um, Henry has started doing like smuggling drugs mm-hmm. and selling drugs in prison to get money together doing what he needs to do eventually Polly and all of them leave and he's kind of stuck there um and who's smuggling in all the stuff for him karen and whose name does karen see on the on the guest register <gasps> janice uh-huh Uh-oh. and she become a little upset yeah about she, that. she starts throwing all the contraband she smuggled in out in the middle of the visitation room in front of everybody which is like have her smuggle this shit which causes the guard that henry pays off to act like a pro wrestling ref and, and just like sort of just oh what was that over there and just turn around and pretend he hasn't seen this visitor smuggling contraband into the prison mm-hmm. <laughs> but eventually he does his time and he comes out right yeah yep. sees his wife they kiss he finds out that they're all living in one room someplace because everyone else had to step away they couldn't really help out right, right? he goes don't worry we'll fix this he goes over to Polly's. they have a big dinner and Polly says what uh he says you need to knock off stop doing that stop doing that junk or stop doing that garbage. I forget how stop exactly. Stop doing that. Stop doing that, that drug shit. Yeah. He, he said, and he says, look, I know you did what you had to do while you were in prison. I'm not telling, I'm not judging you for that. And I, but... I don't mean the butt stuff. I'm talking about the other <laughs> stuff. I mean, I mean the nose stuff, not the butt stuff. Mm-hmm. And he says, but right. now, you, now you're out and you need to knock it off. Mm-hmm. He can't have it. Yeah. He said, another guy in another crew, he was caught selling drugs. And even though the main guy was didn't have anything to do with it, he wound up going to jail and dying in jail. And he says, I'm not going to have that. Right. And Henry proving to be one of the dumbest people on the face of the <laughs> earth, decided to not li- to listen to Polly at all. Right. And so 
so he's now doing a side hustle. Who is he doing the side hustle with? Jimmy yep. and Tommy. Yeah. Which they get they get their drugs from the Pittsburgh Connection. It's mostly cocaine. They cut it up and they distribute it, right? Right. But then comes the next Lufthansa heist, and it comes from Maury, of Maury's Wigs, where he has his caper that he wants everyone to get involved with, and Tommy does. Tommy gets involved with it, and he ropes in a whole bunch of people to do it. Yeah. Right? Like, most of the cast at this point. Everybody has a little job. <laughs> except Henry and Tommy, right? right? And they pull it off. They rob, I don't know how much money it was, $4 million, It's like $6 million. Like I think it's $6 million. But it was it, like the, big, the, the like biggest that. heist of its kind in history up to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think this would have mattered at all to Jimmy, but Jimmy told everybody, hey, don't buy anything big once you get your cut of the money. And what do these morons do? They all buy big, expensive things. They buy cars mm-hmm. and new houses and mink coats for and their women. Mink and mink coats yeah. and everything else. And um, he's like, I don't understand it. And he tells the same thing to, he tells the same thing to uh, Henry. Yeah. He says, Henry, he gives Henry some money, even though Henry wasn't involved. He gives him some money. He says, Remember, don't do anything big with it. And he goes, okay. And the next scene we cut to, he says, I got the biggest tree we can find. <laughs> right, because it's Christmas. Mm-hmm. And he, he, had, he got jewelry for Karen. Like, so it doesn't seem like Henry splurged mm-hmm. as much as the others, but he still did the exact opposite of what Jimmy told him to do. He went out and immediately and bought stuff with the money. up on a purple ornament on the Christmas tree. I don't know how he manages to do it. I don't know if it's because I've seen this movie 5,000 fucking times. Somehow, he changes the tone of Elm from that moment. Mm-hmm. Right? From that moment, something happens because what we find out, number one, Maury is demanding that he gets his cut of the money because he came up, you know, he, he mentioned yeah. the caper to, to Jimmy. He's driving everybody crazy. But then we get what is also one of the big big centerpieces of this movie and that is when Jimmy decides to clean house. Oh boy. And he kills everybody and it's that sort of what's the name of the, the piece of music again? It's uh, it's Eric Clapton isn't it? Oh it's, it? it's, it's Layla. It's Layla. It's the, the instrumental Layla. at the end of Layla. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, in which we see a bunch of a bunch of mob guys and their wives dead right? Yeah. One guy's dead inside of his new car. There are some guys in the garbage. <laughs> Poor Jimmy Carbone. Oh, oh and they kill uh, it starts off with the killing stacks that's Cause right because he was so the driver is, yeah. he was the driver he's the one that stole the truck or whatever it was and uh, apparently he fell asleep um in the truck and the, the authorities nabbed the truck he didn't fall asleep in the truck he went to go see his girlfriend and they found it right and joe pesci shows up with jimmy carbone and then he shoots stacks in the head and this is what starts that thing off right yeah until eventually we see that jimmy carbone is dead and he was hung in a meat truck and it took him two days to thaw out before <laughs> before they could do the autopsy yeah. Exactly. But everything's fine between him and Jimmy because Jimmy was making money with his with his Pittsburgh connection. Exactly. Right? And with Tommy. And he comes into the bar. Fucking goddamn Maury, will you shut up? <laughs> They're never gonna pay you. Yet another Save incredibly stupid now. character. Please. And Maury's like, give me my fucking money. I want my fucking money. And 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 Henry has to take him down, talk him down. And then we have some great news, don't we, Steve? They're gonna make Tommy. That's right. Tommy is going to be a made guy, which means that it's the closest that Jimmy and Henry will ever get to being made guys because they can't actually be made guys because they're not. They can't actually Italian. be made. Right. And he goes on about how great that is at the big, you know, with with all, all this, you know, it's going to be. Well, not yet. Uh, yeah. So they decide, all right, come on, Maury. We'll totally go and get some talk coffee, not stab you in the neck and with an ice pick. We're going to definitely go. not. 
Sit in the front seat, stupid, and have Tommy sit behind <laughs> sit right you, behind you, you, fucking moron. Tommy immediately stabs him in the neck and kills him. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, they kill Maury before they before they kill Carbone because Carbone's in. The That's car- right, because Carbone is driving. So this yeah. actually happens before the before the montage of yeah. murder, <laughs> and so um, they go and they go and chop him up. Then we have the montage. Then we have everything. Everyone's happy. Um, you know, Tommy is showing up there it, henry's narrating about what what a great thing it is to be made yeah right means you're part of a crew you're a good you're a good fellow you're a wise guy all that other mm-hmm. stuff and it's cutting to tommy showing up in his in his suit showing his mom and getting into the car and meanwhile uh jimmy and henry are at a diner waiting to hear they're just talking back and forth <coughs> excuse me jimmy's in a great mood oh because yeah. he's being you know, guys being made we're gonna you know it'll you know with someone like with tommy and they're all three friends if Tommy gets made, they're going to be running with his crew, and that's that's a great thing. And then Robert De Niro gives one of the greatest performances of, of shock and grief ever mm. put to film, because he goes out to go check out on what's going on. We cut back to the house where they're apparently going to make Tommy. It's an empty room. Tommy goes, oh, oh no. But that's about as far as he gets, yep. because one of these fat old men shoot him in the back of the head. Yep. And I'm like, what did you fucking think was going to happen? <laughs> Tommy. Of course they're not going to make you, you crazy murderer. <laughs> oh, you know what we skipped over? Where they had to go and move Billy Bats's body. That's right, because they were going to build like, con- they were going to do construction they're, on the, the, mm-hmm, the... They're going to build condominiums yeah. out there and they'd find the body. Oh, and we also, we, also, we also skipped uh, Tommy killing Spider. Oh shit, that's right, and Tommy killing Spider. He, Spider for, was this... Uh, first he shoots him in the foot because he's doing mm-hmm. some kind of dance guy dance from, the, from a western and he shoots him in the foot and just blows it off like hey, it was an accident come on don't make a big deal about it mm-hmm. then spider comes back with a bandage on his foot and tommy makes fun of him for the bandage spider says fuck you tommy and tommy shoots him in front of everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> and then jimmy says out loud you're gonna have to bury him this time yeah you and uh, which i'm sure anyone at that table went hmm bury who this time <laughs> yeah who who else have you buried <laughs> Okay, so anyway, Tommy, Tommy is dead. Tommy's dead, and De Niro's and upset. De Niro, De Niro, they tell him over the phone, and they say he's gone, and it couldn't be helped. Yeah. And he uh, beats up the, the phone booth. He did not intend to knock it over, but he did. Yeah. Because they just thought, we need the phone booth for this scene, so we, there's no need to bolt it to the ground. <laughs> and Robert De Niro pushed it, and it went right over, and it's that's why you don't see it on, on camera, because it wasn't planned, but they kept the shot anyway, because De Niro's performance was so good. Yeah. Yeah, of course and he's in tears and uh and uh henry's in shock and his narration chase where before it was all it's this great thing and everything else to it was real greaseball shit yeah right yeah the end movie over oh right? but not yet <laughs> now we get our first the first time that we see or in a long time we know what year it is it's 1980 it's 1980 and it's time for henry to get arrested yeah so we get a, like a day in the life of a paranoid cokehead yes who works for the mob and there's a number of things he needs to do he needs to go pick up the drugs and bring them back and get them distributed he needs to give them to the babysitter who they hired in who smuggles some of these drugs out on an airplane he's got to also make dinner because his his brother who is in a wheelchair is coming over to visit and he's also got to take guns yeah out silencers over to jimmy jimmy doesn't like them because none of them fit and he, jimmy says you got to stop using 
and that's not messing up your brain. Meanwhile, he has a new girlfriend who is the, I can't remember her name. Sandy. Sandy. Sandy, who is supposed to be packing, doing some shit with the cocaine. And she's supposed to be using the dishwasher that he bought her to wash all the stuff after he's done. And she's not doing it. He promises to sleep with her. Then he just takes the drugs and leaves and laughs. And she throws more coke around her apartment. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's paranoid because he keeps seeing a helicopter flying overhead. And then he, he gets Karen to notice it, too, where she's now on coke. And they go over. They meet the, the Pittsburgh people. They snort more coke. Um, he finally gets back home. And as he's getting out of the car, someone puts a gun to the back of his head. Yeah. And says, freeze, scumbag. Something like that. Yeah. Should I use scumbag this time, Johnny? Oh, fits. What else we got? Dirt bag? Well, what's the difference between a dirt bag and a scumbag? I've seen bags full of dirt. I've never seen a bag full of yeah, scum. What would be the utility of a bag of scum? I mean... <laughs> what if I call him a greasy wa... Don't you say it. Besides, I think he's half Italian. Well, how about if I call him a, a half wa... Don't say that either. <laughs> It's racially insensitive. We have a code book. You can call them dirty scumbags, dirty <laughs> dirty dirt bags. I never liked dirty dirt bag. It kind of is self-explanatory. You There's dirty dirt, dirt bag. bag. It's going to be dirty. Can I call him a scummy dirt bag? Oh, I like that. That's good. Yeah, okay, mix and match. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he lets us know. I knew it was the cops because if it had been if it had been another mobster, he'd be dead. Right. They just they just shoot you. I never would have heard. Right. I never would have known they were there. Yeah, exactly. And they bring him in. They're booking him. All of the stuff that Sandy was supposed to wash isn't washed. That's <laughs> fucking covered in cocaine. <laughs> Yeah, there is there is a certain amount of evidence against Henry. And and now Henry is in a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. Not just from the cops, but from Polly. Right, because he told Polly that he was done with the drugs. That he wasn't doing anything, yeah. right? And as far as Polly knows, it's just Henry. They were following Henry because they've erased, you know, they've, they've erased, they've arrested Karen and everyone else that's involved. When, when he's being held at gunpoint by cops, Karen runs into the bathroom and starts flushing cocaine that they've hidden. Yeah. Right? I'm fairly certain she cut her hand during that scene but um so what happens uh well he rushes he, home yeah he gets bailed yeah. out he goes home and he's looking for the coke that he left hidden because his plan is he needs to sell that coke so they can get the money to get out of town because now he's worried mm -hmm. that the mob is going to kill him because they'll be worried that he'll rat somebody out right but karen says oh i flushed all that coke and he's like why did you do that karen <laughs> and he finally breaks down and he cries like a baby yeah and they're both crying like babies because they're scumbags anyways <laughs> So they're both crying like babies. And um, he has to crawl to Polly. Yeah. Polly's in a restaurant doing something. He's cooking peppers. A man who said, I don't know anything about restaurants. Yeah. And he's trying to apologize to him for doing what he what Polly told him not to do. Right. And that he's in he's in a desperate situation and he needs some money. And, and Polly hands him over this, this wad of cash and says, I have to turn my back on you. Yes. And he gave him $3,200. Right. Meanwhile, um, they're kind of hemming and hawing about turning turning state's evidence and going into the witness protection program and then one day karen goes and sees jimmy for some reason and in the only life-saving maneuver i have ever seen in this movie <laughs> finally a smart character yeah jimmy asks her hey you wouldn't have you he didn't you know happen to mention what's going on and he's like no he doesn't talk to me or anything like that he says okay why don't you walk down there next to those scary guys way way down there next to the scary guys there's some dresses that i want you to see yeah 
yeah. And Cheeky's like, all the way down here? And he's like, yeah, keep going. Keep going. They got guns. You recognize <laughs> the ones that got guns, okay? Just go into that abandoned storefront. <laughs> Three of them are going to be gently tapping baseball bats into their open palm. <laughs> okay, just keep going. Just go in there, yeah. Go in there. And she finally says, you know what? I got to go see my mother. Everything's fine. Everything's perfectly fine. Thanks, Jimmy. She jumps in her car and peels out. Yep. And Jimmy's just kind of like, oh, that didn't work out. Oh, didn't worth work. a shot. So now Henry and Karen are talking to the FBI about witness protection and she's playing innocent and the guy's not having it. Right. He's like, we have you on, we have, we've been recording everything you've been doing on the phone. Yeah. Remember, remember Tootie and Paulie never used the phone. There was a reason they never used the phone. Right. And so they're just talking back and forth and trying to convince them to turn states. They don't really need Karen because Karen doesn't want to leave her, her, her parents. Right. Because and, she and says, the well, FBI guy basically, my parents. yeah, the FBI yeah. guy basically tells you like, look, if, if, if you going along will make Henry a better witness for us, then I want you to go along. But other than that, I don't right. care if you go or not. We don't need you. Right. We don't care. I don't care about you at all. I could push you out this window right now and it wouldn't matter. If pushing you out this window made Henry confess and turn states and go into witness <laughs> protection, I'd do it in a fucking minute. In fact, Tony over there is standing by that window right now <laughs> so that if Henry said, go for it, we'd just chuck you right out the window. That's his assignment. That's right. That's right. That is his assignment. You know what else he does? Nothing. That's all he does. <laughs> That's his only job. <laughs> is to scare people into witness protection. <laughs> Now, you're saying that your parents are a problem. Can we push them out a window yeah. and who kind of we, alleviate that problem? Who can, who we, can kill? we push out the window? Who can for? we push out a window to make you more cooperative? <laughs> And I guess they decide to do it because now we cut to the courtroom scene yep. where he's ratting out his friends. He rats out Polly. He rats out Jimmy, both of mm -hmm. whom are there. Both of whom are there and he has to do it in front of them. And I guess it works, right? Because yeah. he, he, he breaks into um, where he actually finally talks directly to us. Yep. It's not a narration. He stands up from the witness chair. He's talking directly to us. He's talking about how we had everything and everything was great. We had all of this money and all this other stuff. And he said, and now it's over. Cut to a suburb someplace. Yep. Green lawns, people fucking mowing a lawn. I think it's someone mowing a lawn or is a tractor flattening out a place for a brand new house. And he's talking about how, you know, all the excitement's gone. And my favorite line is, I, I ordered spaghetti the other day and I got egg noodles and ketchup. <laughs> they show him come out of the front door to pick up his newspaper. He sees us and he looks directly at us mm -hmm. with this kind of smirk on his face. And then we get the great train robbery ending. Exactly, yeah. We get a shot of Tommy shooting a pistol a right at the camera. Right at us. Yep. Right. And then we show him go into the, go back into the house to what song? Uh, my Way, the, but by the, the Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols, the Sid Vicious <laughs> version of My Way, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. And by the way, that was intentional. Someone said, why did you end Why did you end the movie with Joe Pesci shooting at us? Isn't that like the great train robbery? And Martin, Martin Scorsese said, yeah, that's exactly why. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, stupid. <laughs> you figured out. You, you, how long did it take you to figure out my code? <laughs> Me, my direct quote of one of the most iconic <laughs> shots in the history of cinema. 
Exactly. So, Steve, how do you feel about uh, why are we doing this? How do you feel about this masterpiece of a film? Goodfellas. I mean, it's one of the least suspenseful reviews I think we've ever done. Like, am I, I, yeah, does, no one. Does anybody really expect me to say I don't like it? Like, come on. Um, mm, that was all right. Violent. I like Seven Years in Tibet a little better as far as Scorsese <laughs> movies. Um, so, as I, I did Kundun. You did Seven Years in no, Tibet? No, you're right. He did do Kundun. Yeah, Seven Years in Tibet with somebody else. He did Kundun. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Last Temptation of Christ, which is a masterpiece. But anyway. Which came um, out before this. Which came out before, I think, the, his last movie before this, I believe. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, God, you, God, what a fucking twofer. Last Temptation of Christ followed by <laughs> fucking Goodfellas. Um, anyway, I, but that kind of brings me to how I wanted to start my review, because with Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese did something that I'm not sure any other director has done before or since, and that is he made the best film of the decade in the first mm-hmm. year of that decade, mm-hmm. two decades in a row, because mm-hmm. he made Raging Bull in 1980, yep. and then Goodfellas came out in 1990. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there were some filmmakers who saw Raging Bull in 1980 and thought, well, we might as well pack it in. Nobody's making a better yeah. movie than this in the next 10 years. Um, <laughs> and they probably thought the same thing in 1990 after seeing Goodfellas, and I'm not sure anyone did make a better film than this in the next 10 years. Um, So, yeah, I mean, this this movie is... This movie is, it's a masterpiece. It's brilliant in so many ways. The one, the thing I want to focus on is it's a masterclass in how to not allow style to overwhelm substance. That's exactly right. Because like all of Scorsese's work, Goodfellas is an incredibly stylish film. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fluid camera work, crisp editing, confident, incredible shot compositions, really, really well paced. Some really audacious sequences. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you could show just this movie and call it the highlight reel for Scorsese's entire <laughs> career because because it's that good. And I think that would be fine. You know, like even as as prolific as he was and a, as he is and as 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 much variety as there is among his many films, um, mm-hmm. if you just said, yeah, just watch Goodfellas, you'll get it. Like, I feel like that would be that would be acceptable. Um, yeah. You know, you've got the long takes, you've got the the continuous shots, the the great timing, the use of editing to shock us and to make us laugh the use of montage and voiceover which are two techniques that are so easy to overuse or use wrong Mm. they're both used to absolute perfection here but for all of that style and for as strongly as scorsese's unique fingerprints as a filmmaker are visible in every frame of this movie it never drowns out the substance it never Mm -hmm. becomes obnoxious um it always adds something it never takes something away or gets in between us and the movie, mm-hmm. um, which is something a lot of very heavily stylistic filmmakers have a problem with. Um, maybe the most impressive thing about the movie is, as a whole is that even though it comes on really strong from the very beginning, which with that the initial v- version of the Billy Bat scene, it mm-hmm. still manages to build from there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the use of music and how strong the use of music is throughout the movie, and that's doubly appropriate because the movie is kind of 
paced and structured like an album because it starts out strong with that shocking attention grabbing scene of them killing billy bats in the trunk and then it slows down and settles in and it builds up to a blow-off which is the second time they kill billy bats <laughs> and mm-hmm. then and then it kind of slows down again and builds up again like we flipped the record over um, but i i i think slows down is the wrong word no, no, yeah because the does, movie yeah. never feels like it slows it doesn't no the I pace doesn't the, slow but yeah the, the the stakes start building back up again right it, it's it, yeah. yeah it's exactly. more like the characters get comfortable yeah like it builds up to a crescendo and there's a blow-off and then there's an aftermath where things kind of things in the characters lives kind of settle down and they get comfortable and then and, but it's building back up to the next thing and even in those scenes you're seeing things that are going to happen you know yeah here's something yeah. that's going to eventually pay off pay off but you know this is going to lead to something yeah right janice is going to lead to him going to jail he even says it out loud yeah right and it kind of happens that way where he kind of goes to jail after the whole janice thing um happens because yeah. that that's the job that he's sent on right that's sorry keep going no it's yeah um and but as, as that's happening there's another build that is growing throughout the film which mm-hmm. which goes from from the beginning to the end which is the revelation that this gangster life that Henry covets is actually not so great. Nope. Um, early on, Henry talks in his narration about how great it is to be part of the crew, how they're the mm-hmm. most respected guys. They're the kings of the neighborhood. They can have whatever they want. Nobody gives them a hard time. If they want something, mm-hmm. all they have to do is take it. And he reiterates a lot of this at the end too. Um, but, and for a while, it kind of looks that way as he's on the way up. But mm-hmm. we also see how casually these people murder each other, mm-hmm. how incredibly conditional their loyalty is for for as big of a deal as they make about loyalty for you know as 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 it feels like oh he's a part of the family when he gets arrested the first time as a kid and then he comes out and Mm -hmm. everybody's there and they're clapping for him and saying hey you popped your cherry um with despite all of that we see that their loyalty to each other is incredibly conditional um, even to people that they've known for decades, mm-hmm. everything, in even their... to people that they claim to respect. Oh yeah. To, like, uh, yeah. Holy. To, absolutely. Um, everything in their lives is hollow. Everything is built on lies and the more successful they get, the more worried they have to be about losing everything. Um, mm-hmm. that's what happens to Jimmy. And then later that's what happens to Henry after the Lufthansa heist is when Jimmy starts getting paranoid and starts mm-hmm. b- bumping people off because he's worried that somebody's going to rat him out or somebody's going to be stupid and get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie tells us that story that, you know, crime doesn't pay story, but it's never obvious about it. It's never moralistic. It never preaches. It never hits us over the head with it. Um, and part of the secret to that is Henry and, and Ray Liotta as Henry. I think it's Ray Liotta's best performance. I think it's mm-hmm. easily Ray Liotta's best performance. And I don't say that with any disrespect to Ray Liotta because he gave other great performances in other movies, but I don't sure. think, I don't think he was ever even approaching as good as he is in Goodfellas. And, 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 you know, Henry defines himself as a character with that first line. As long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Mm-hmm. And why does he want that? It's not because he's mean, although he is mean throughout the film, but he, he's not presented as an essentially mean person. 
Um, it's not because he wants to hurt people, although, again, we do see him hurting a lot of people, uh, both mm -hmm. in, both intentionally and unintentionally. Mm -hmm. It's because he wants to be a big shot. It's because mm -hmm. he wants respect. He wants to feel important. And for a while, he gets that. But it doesn't last no. because he doesn't actually do anything to earn respect. And he also sows the seeds for his own destruction. Yeah, because as you pointed all out, the yeah, time. he's an idiot. Yeah. He's short-sighted. They're all idiots. He's, all of them they're, are. Yeah, they're all, they're all idiots. Um, there are times where, and we, we mentioned it a couple of times throughout our, our summary, there are a couple of times where Henry seems to be the only character to grasp the gravity of the situation. Like, yeah. like when, you know, like he's nervous at dinner with mom when they've got Billy Bats in the trunk, or when he's there when Tom... Tommy kills Spider and Tommy and Jimmy are both joking about it. Like it's not really that big of a deal. Like, like Jimmy is scolding mm -hmm. Tommy about it. Like he didn't just murder somebody, but like, you know, mm -hmm. like he just played kind of a prank and, and Henry is there like, what the fuck? You know, like he's the only mm -hmm. one who seems to get like, you just murdered somebody for no reason. Um, but it doesn't really change anything for Henry. Like he still goes along with it. He still, these guys are still his, his guys. Um, yep. Henry's a thief and a cheater and an accomplice to murder mm -hmm. and he and does a drug dealer. and a drug dealer and he doesn't he wants respect but he doesn't deserve respect and mm -hmm. his only real redeeming quality is his loyalty to the others in his crew and even that winds up being worth nothing and he gives that up too yep so you yep. know um it really shows again without beating us over the head with it it shows us how hollow this life is um mm -hmm. the movie's two and a half hours long it flies by it's it's thrilling it's captivating it's got a great cast uh there's leota there's de niro pesci sorvino lorraine bracco uh, all the guys in those little supporting roles most of whom popped up in the sopranos later on mm -hmm. or in dozens of other mob movies after this um, everybody is just amazing and it's all brought together by Scorsese, who is the best filmmaker of his generation. He's arguably the greatest living filmmaker anywhere in the world. And he's doing some of the boldest, most confident, most impressive work of his career. And he makes it look easy. I think that's the most stunning thing about it. When you watch this movie and it just overwhelms you with its brilliance and its, its invention and all the things it does. And it, he makes it look easy. It's like it's mm -hmm. like he, it's like he just showed up to the set and just did this. And, you know, films like this are meticulously crafted and there's a ton of work that goes into it, um, both on the part of the director and everybody else who's involved, both in, on the artistic side and the technical side. But you don't see any of that. There are no work marks on it at all. It seems absolutely flawless. Like it was like it just arrived this way, you know, like mm -hmm. and that's the most amazing thing about it. So anyway, that's that's all I have to say. Just absolutely brilliant film um i'm not going to add too much more to this than we've already mentioned in the recap and prior to this and the years that we've been doing this show we've mentioned good yes yes um but I agree with everything that Steve just said. The, the great thing about Goodfellas, and it's and it's true about a lot of Scorsese's films, especially when he's doing movies about bad people, and I've mentioned it before during Raging Bull, and it's true also in Wolf of Wall Street, is that he portrays them as people and not as villains, uh -huh. right? He portrays them as people. And some people react negatively to that because they find themselves identifying with murderers and scumbags and thieves and drug dealers and people 
people who, you know, have a tenuous grasp on morality, and that's most of the people that we fixate in this film. But when you're watching it, you can't help but get happy when they're happy. Mm -hmm. Especially, I mean, we don't have scenes where they get happy about murdering someone or something like that. It's A lot of the murders are very a matter of fact. When they kill Maury, they're like, come on, let's go, and they have other stuff that they need to do. And they killed Maury because he was going to get everybody exposed. And then eventually Jimmy just kills everybody because he didn't want to share the money, number one. And number two, one of them was going to get pinched at some point. He knew they were going to get pinched. So you kind of develop this relationship with the characters where you are a little happy that Tommy is going to be made, even though you know sure. in the back of your head this could be a setup. Mm-hmm. He puts you so far into their heads that you start thinking more rationally than they do about their own lives. <laughs> yep. Right? N- neither Tommy or Henry or Tommy, a Tommy, Henry, or Jimmy think they're setting him up to whack him when they tell him that he's going to be a made man. They open the books and Tommy's going to be made. No one stops to think, shit, do they know something about right. about Billy Bats? Because we knew that Billy Bats was bad. We knew what the, what they did was, was something that would not ever be acceptable, right? And it's not like they covered it up real good. <laughs> They just buried him in one place and then to move him to another place. And everyone saw Billy Bats go into Henry's place. I mean, we skipped over a part where where, uh, where Polly asks him, hey, do you know anything about, um, you know, what happened with Billy Bats? Because he said, no, it just he left my place and that was it. He just disappeared. Well, that put him on everybody's radar, mm-hmm. right? Who does he run with? That would be the first thing the mob bosses would say. Well, who does he run with? And he said, uh, Jimmy Connolly and Tommy DeVee. Oh, shit. <laughs> Gee, who could it have been? been Hmm. (laughs) who could it be out of that group that would have for no fucking reason killed billy bats (laughs) so we get we get these these stories of these guys lives and you kind of find yourself despite everything liking them despite all of the shitty things they do you wind up kind of not necessarily rooting for them but liking them the main character learns nothing other than maybe his ability to betray his friends right when jimmy tells him when he first gets pinched never betray your friend never rat on your friends and always keep your mouth shut he breaks those two rules at the end of the movie and he puts away two people that he's known for his entire life but what is his lament his lament is that his life of money and drugs and doing whatever you want is over yeah what is his lament the line that he says at the very end of this movie now i gotta wait in line like a shook that means he's become us yeah the rest of everybody else in america who doesn't commit murder or sell drugs or do any of the other things he now has to do what we do and he can't get good italian food he's still lamenting his old life which means it was regrettable what he did just to save his life but now he's lamenting the life that he's bought with it which Mm -hmm. is just being joe nobody out in the suburb he doesn't uh he doesn't pull it off he winds up going back to (laughs) he goes back to jail (laughs) oh henry for pull another crimes. Um, I don't know if Jimmy Connolly ever got out of jail. I know he went to jail up until 2004. He was supposed to be in jail until 2004. I think he died. I, I think know. he died in prison. Did he die in yeah. prison after this movie came out? Yeah, after the movie. Because Paulie, Paulie died in prison. Yeah. Just so the same way he didn't want to die. Yeah. Right? He said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to die in prison. Like, what's his face? Yeah. Well, I think well, the, the, exa- the exact thing that he told Henry he didn't want to happen happened because that's what got him uh-huh. caught, the, Henry's drug dealing. Yep. And so when you take a look at the movie, Movie, this is this is literally a story about you know some of the things that I don't like a character that learns nothing you know <laughs> a lot of narration and the thing is is that this 
utilizes those tools correctly. Mm-hmm. It's when they're not used correctly that I have a problem with it. Everything that Henry lets us know are things are things that we we kind of appreciate knowing. When he has to explain certain things about the mafia, when he has to explain certain things about other things, it makes no sense in the way they're presenting this world for one mob guy to explain to another mob guy how the mob works. Right. We're not going to have a newbie character in this in this movie who's fresh to the mob business and someone has to take him under his wing and show him all this stuff. Yeah. It, 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 number one, it's not correct to the story's timeline. And there have been other mobsters who came out and said, nah, Henry wasn't that, he wasn't that big of a deal. He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't. He just kind of stood around. He kind of just stood around. Well, what does he do in this movie? He kind of just stands around. Yeah, he's not exactly he, the godfather in this movie. No, he's not. No. He's, he's making his money. He's committing his crimes. But I mean, he's kind of standing off to the sides. The ones that are moving are Jimmy and Tommy. Mm-hmm. The ones that are making big strides and are really putting themselves out there risk-wise is, is, is Jimmy and Tommy. Now, as far as the filmmaking goes, what's great about this movie is that Scorsese realized early on that the movie had to move in order for us to be able to sit for two and a half hours and watch it, right? So if there's an establishing shot, it's short. Yeah. And it's usually accompanied with something. Dialogue, music, something. There are no long establishing shots in this film. Full stop. There's none. We don't get pan- these nice pans of the neighborhood, of any neighborhood, or a pan of the of the of a restaurant. The longest shot in this film is two people walking across the street to get into a restaurant to go down to the main stage and sit down. Yep. That's the longest shot. It is a moving shot that is demonstrating the world that she's being introduced, right? That Karen is being introduced. There is there is uh I think there's some dialogue over it. Maybe not. It's possible. I can't remember. But that's the longest shot in this thing. The rest of it is quick, 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 cutting, 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 right? If there's a dialogue scene, we make sure that we have the cuts that we have in there so that people talk back and forth. We get basic plot, the, the basic things that they need to say out of the way, and we move on to the next one. The reason why this movie feels the dialogue is so loose is because they did the improvs. They did the improvs to get the dialogue that loose. These are not guys who talk about their feelings, right? You're not going to have people say things out loud in regards to their feelings or what they're thinking. That's one of the reasons why the narration is in there. So even after having seen this movie, I don't know how many times, I am still amazed that two and a half hours have gone by by the time I'm done. Yeah. I'm like, this does not feel like a two and a half hour movie and it has everything to do with the pacing and everything to do with how it's edited so that we are constantly moving from one thing to the next thing to the next thing and making sure that all of it is together, all of it makes sense. We're never lost, right? There's You could easily get people lost if you don't know how to do this, right? If you don't know how For to sure. cut it this way. Yeah. And at no point are we ever, well, who's, who's that? Where do they go? The minute you think, who's that? Henry tells you, yeah. right? We even got Stax. Who's Stax? Stax was a guy who plays guitar. And, oh, thank you. Now I know. And there is Stax. <laughs> there Hi, he Stax. is. Hi, Stax. Don't get used to him. <laughs> He's going to do something dumb and then get killed. Don't get attached. Anyway, <laughs> thanks. Thanks, movie. It is a movie that, like Steve said, looks simple but is very hard. Directors, some directors, many directors, fall into things that they have been taught and how to make a movie. You need an establishing shot. You need, you know, you need to have these things set up so that <coughs> so that you can get the exposition across, so that you can do this, so you can do that. And Scorsese went, nope. If he, if he was sitting there going, I've got 
got into an establishing shot. You never know it. And let me, let me, I just want to use this as a tool. Establishing character. How long does it take to establish Tommy's character? Two and a half minutes. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. As an adult. How long does it take to establish Raging Bull's character? You fuck my wife? Yeah. Nah, I didn't fuck your wife. And that goes on for fucking ever. <laughs> right? Yeah. To the port of, to the point of ridiculousness, does it go? Yeah. Or hit me. Hit me. Just hit me. What? Hit me. I'm not going to hit you. That goes on forever, too. That's, yeah. <laughs> These long character establishing shots that show how fucked up the main character in Raging Bull is. And then you cut over to Goodfellas and we're figuring out everything about these guys we need to know. Even to the point where our first introduction to Tommy, that scene establishes that he is unstable and he's a threat. And it's just not there to show us that. It's also there to show us that everybody else knows it. Yeah. Except the dumb ones, right? (laughs) Except the ones who ask him for money in front of all his friends uh-huh it's a perfect movie it's a perfect movie it has subject matter and things that keep you engaged it has violence in there that is not so over the top what what is really surprising about the violence is how blunt and direct it is yeah right and the dialogue is fantastic all of the performances are good and then when you're done you're like wow and every time i finish this movie i'm like wow uh-huh. because there's plenty of other movies out there that people say are good but they can be over it's a little over long in this point it's a little maybe sure. they did much exposition at this point. It's just, this one is like you find me a problem with the film, and I will punch you in the face. I'll I'll pistol whip you. That's what I'll do. You find me something that's bad in the movie, and I'll be like, "There's nothing." No, there's everything is so. It's like I don't know what happened when he sat down with his editor and they just started doing it. I don't know how long it took. I don't know if there was any arguments. I don't know if someone was playing. Please, Martin, don't cut it this way and he's like i don't care (laughs) to i don't think anyone argued with him i don't think the studio came in and said what do you mean you don't have an orchestra orchestrated score he's like i'm get your money out because we're gonna have to (laughs) we're gonna license license some songs we need to license some music (laughs) um but you know who else does that quentin quentin tarantino tarantino oh yeah he does the same thing he listens to music and he wants to put it to what he wants to do scorsese beat him to it by four years scorsese beat quentin to a couple of things <laughs> it's not it's not fair to say that tarantino is just ripping off scorsese that's not fair at all no but he's ripping off everybody but there, yes, there are there are quite a few things that scores like if, if you're if you are someone who worships quentin tarantino and you've never seen a scorsese movie you're in for a surprise because mm-hmm. there'll be some things you'll find familiar in fact if you're a fan of quentin tarantino please go see other movies because you're going to see what inspires him yes right we're not implying that he steals any he's a bad guy no he's it. great anything anything that he lifts he knowingly lifts he acknowledges that he lifted it yeah and he can explain the reasons why he lifted it and he's also made it his own um, yeah he's so great. not a surprise that the stuff from, from Scorsese movies would wind up in, in Tarantino film or why some stuff from this movie has wound up in other movies but none of them good I mean not like this I mean oh, this God, is no. this is going to be the, the movie that he you know whether he likes it or not this is going to be the movie that everyone points to and says because this the other thing is what we mentioned in Raging Bull is that Raging Bull seemed to show a lot of his influences especially from things like the French New Wave and you know other his other influences from other movies this one is free from all of that this one 
is free from all of his other influences from other directors and other genres. This is him being him. Right. And this is his statement on the film. And this is how he's made it. And, and with the cutting and everything else, he's not lifting shots from other people. You'd be hard pressed to find another shot that, oh, but this is comparable to that scene in, you know, Battleship Potemkin. But he couldn't help himself. And he slipped one in at the very end of the yep. movie. The Pesci the shot at the end. Robbery. The Great Train mm-hmm. robbery shot. Yeah. But he did it on purpose. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's, the, it's the last it's I, to me, it's his last act of audacity because mm-hmm. there are so many shots and moments in the movie that are just audacious. It's just Scorsese going for it as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. his last act of audacity saying, I'm going to recreate maybe the most famous shot in the history of cinema. <laughs> And fuck you. I'm going to get and away with you. it. I'm going to do it and it's going to work. And, mm-hmm. and it does. It's and he great. tied it together because yeah. the Great Train Robbery is is a, is a crime movie. Is a crime movie. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason they did it at the end of the Great Train Robbery was to reinstate just how violent these people were. Yeah. And that's why he did it. He did it at the end of this one. And he went out with a bang. <laughs> you got to go out with a bang. Um, so I very seldom ever bestow perfect movie status on anything. But this is this is one of those movies where there is nothing that takes you out. No. Nothing takes you out. It's no matter how fluidly they go from from uh, era and style to era and style, it's done so fluidly and so well that you don't go, a digital watch. You don't, If you're looking for digital <laughs> watches, go away. <laughs> You know, so, uh, yeah, Steve, classic. Recommend. Oh, God, yes. It, classic, Good. perfect movie, highly recommended. <coughs> if, if for any reason anybody listening to this has never seen it, please, it's on Netflix, it's on HBO Max, it's not hard to find. Mm-hmm. Please go out of your way <coughs> to see it. Excuse me. I think we're going to have to cut this short. So, no, no, no uh, terrible choice. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you okay? I'm going to die, Steve. Oh, honey. I'm going to die. <coughs> okay, Steve? Yes, my friend. Now it's time for you to not recommend something, not recommend something. Okay, I, I'm not recommending uh, one of the few. We talked last time about how there's been a lot of bad mob movies, but there aren't really any ba- any mob movies that are so bad they're considered like the worst movies ever. Mm-hmm. Well, I found one. Oh, God. And it's one that I'm sure you've heard of. I'm, it's one that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of because it just came out not too long ago. It's a little film starring John Travolta, and it's called Gotti. <clears throat> What's wrong with that? It's a biopic. It's, it's it, so also you might. And this is something I didn't plan this, but you mentioned it earlier. You you, you mentioned uh, Entourage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gotti is directed by Kevin Connolly, who is best known as one of those guys on Entourage. Okay. I don't know how he got the job to direct okay. this this movie about John Gotti, starring John Travolta, but he did, and the result mm-hmm. is that Gotti is one of only to date forty one films ever released that has ever gotten a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, (laughs) which means that nobody whose review was counted in the aggregate of Rotten Tomatoes gave it a positive review. Why? Um, It's it's really sort of super bad. Oh, okay. It's like- I'm glad I never saw it. It's really sort of super bad. Um, It has, uh, you know, it has a decent cast in addition to Travolta. There's also Pruitt Taylor Vince, who is one of those actors that you see pop up and stuff every once in a while, and he's always good. He's mm-hmm. never been like a huge star, but you'd recognize him if you saw him. Uh, one of my favorites, Stacy Keach, really slumming sure. it in this fucking thing. Um, 
Also, just a little bit of trivia about Gotti and about about John Travolta. I believe John Travolta holds the record for starring in the most films that have gotten a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, but he's still working. He was in Gotti. And would would you yes. like would you, would you would you care to take a guess at what the other two movies that John Travolta has been in that have a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes? I don't know his 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 movies good enough to be able to hazard one. Okay, so the the other the 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 other ones are first look who. Who's talking now? Zero <laughs> percent, and okay. and the sequel to one of his most celebrated films, mm-hmm. uh, which would be Saturday Night Fever. The sequel to that, Staying oh, Alive, zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so there you go. If you if you want to see a uh, uh, if you want to see another mob movie after Goodfellas, a- unless you specifically are interested in watching the exact opposite of Goodfellas, <laughs> I am not <laughs> recommending Gotti. Well, as you guys know, I like to not recommend. As you guys know, I like to not recommend a film from the same year as the uh, movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1990. <laughs> and the movie that I'm going to not recommend um, was also based on a book, a dark satire. Ooh. But something happened. Something happened so bad to this movie that it actually inspired a book uh, about why it became a fiasco. Oh, really? That movie is by Brian De Palma, and the name of the movie is The Bonfire of the Vanities. Oh. Starring everybody. Tom Hanks, Bruce Willis, and Melanie Griffith. This movie is miscast, um, tried too hard, and is not funny. It's like he didn't know what a dark satire was. Mm -hmm. They kept getting a note saying the main character needs to be likable. But in the book, he's not supposed to be likable, (laughs) nor should he be likable in the movie. And then to double down on him being likable, they cast everybody's older brother, Tom Hanks, into the role to play this character who is a fucking scumbag. Then they took a character who was supposed to be British and they were thinking about casting, you know, maybe John Cleese or someone like that in the role. And instead they cast Bruce Willis. I can ima- I imagine for no other reason than he was hot at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And boy, he knew it because there are so many people talking about how he wouldn't listen to anybody. He tried to speed up stuff. I mean, we all understand that he's suffering from a, a, a mental handicap right now. Yeah. But that didn't mean that he wasn't a dick on set. Oh, sure. He could be. Um, but the movie is terrible. It's not. It's supposed to be funny and it's supposed to be dark. It's neither of those things. <laughs> so please don't go see The Bonfire of the Vanities, even if you happen to find it. Even someone begs you to watch it don't watch it if they say please my baby she is sick if you do not watch the bonfire of the vanities <laughs> she will die please watch it say no just say no it's fine i'm sorry about your baby but that's I'm not gonna sorry happen about your baby find some chump i don't see how do this it. is my problem this is not my problem i do not need to do this thank you very much let me tell you something you motherfucker i don't watch that movie for nobody <laughs> hey steve yes my friend guess what time it is is it is it time for me to make a terrible choice? It is time for you to make a terrible choice. Oh boy! But it will only be a terrible choice if you don't select one of these movies. <sighs> okay. One of these movies will probably make you very disappointed. Okay. But none of the movies are con- 
considered bad. Okay. 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 We're I doing hope... a genre we haven't done in a long time. We need to we need to do it. And it's one of your favorite genres. Okay. Okay. Just to make you tortured more, to make you agonize over the choice, I'll let you know. <laughs> Silent <gasps> comedies. Oh god, I hate this. <laughs> That's why I did it. Oh, man. That's okay. right. All okay. three are silent comedies. Okay. He has no idea which ones they are. One of them, if you don't choose it, you will suffer. <laughs> Oh, God. Okay. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. So, A, B, or C, Steve. A, B, or C. A. You have chosen poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. (laughs) All right. You haven't. You haven't. You'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. But yeah, I can't wait to see which (laughs) is the one that I didn't pick that I wish I had. Had you chosen B, you we would have watched and reviewed the classic silent comedy Sherlock Jr. Oh, my favorite movie ever. Your favorite movie oh, ever. Oh, oh, sorry. That's okay. Hey, next time. This problem probably won't hurt. Had you chosen C, we would have watched the classic silent comedy Safety Last. Oh yeah, okay, fuck yeah. But you chose A. I chose A. A movie that is considered this artist's greatest film ever made. Also considered one of the greatest films ever made and it is a uh, performer and director that we have never done a movie on on this show oh boy but it's time to get it over with i guess <clears throat> the movie that we're going to watch and review next time is the charlie chaplin classic city lights oh my fucking god <laughs> that okay you grossed no, that, me out no, you grossed no. the people that are watching live out uh, as, yes. As much as I, as as you know, and as I just said, Sherlock Jr. by Buster Keaton is literally my favorite movie ever. But mm-hmm. City Lights, if like if Sherlock Jr. is here, and I'm holding up my hand for those of you watching or listening in yeah, an audio he, medium, he's doing a visual so, demonstration. So there's my right up here is is Sherlock Jr. and City Lights is like that was the sound of City Lights smacking right up against so the bottom right of Sherlock Jr. What he's implying is that they're they're right next. They're to neck and neck. I love City they're Lights so much. So yeah, that's this. Is, I'm very much looking forward to this. So. If you want to find out why I'm making Steve cry, please watch City Lights before our next review. And that's it. Thanks, guys, for listening in once again. For Late Seating, this is Jason Harding, and see a movie this week. And this is Steve Shives. Now take me to jail. Okay, bye. We're going to go see your dad again? In jail? You promise you're not going to cry? I mean, I might cry, you know, when we're when it's time to say goodbye, when he yells okay. at me because I forgot to bring him cigarettes again. Sure. Well, you got to wear a bigger coat because you're trying to put a lot of stuff under there. I know, Cigarette. but booze a prostitute there's I tr- only so much you can smuggle under a big coat I try to tell him it's it's July dad I shouldn't be wearing a coat at all you know what we need to do is we need to you need to get up onto my shoulders <sighs> right okay. and wear a really big coat and then we could fit as many prostitutes underneath there as we need because he does love his prostitutes that's right and you should see how much they go for inside oh sure it's and, ridiculous you know, it is the reason why he's there in the first place which is you know sad but also kind of comforting because it shows that you know it's it's the circle of life you know that's what he tried to use as his defense but he still didn't tell him where all they're all buried well i mean technically he used the once a pimp always a pimp offense, uh, uh, defense you know mm. you comfortable about what we're doing to your father <laughs> to right my father now? uh he's yeah. never gonna hear this <laughs> no you sure
sure. He's like, all right, so wait a minute. So I went, <laughs> so I went to prison for being a pimp. And then that uh, co-host of yours implied... Apparently I murdered some Implied that I murdered some of the girls, too. So that's what you think of your old man. That's what you think of me. After I paid your bills, after I put put a roof over your head for the first 18 years of your life. (laughs) There's no way he'll ever find out. No. Right? He doesn't even know what a podcast is. Sure. It worked out for all the guys in this movie we watched. Not telling people stuff, Exactly. Right? Exactly. That's. I feel like that's the message of Goodfellas. Don't tell anybody and it'll all mm-hmm. work out. That's right. And actually, All the, I'm saying is, if the, your father ever invites you to a place you've never been to before... Don't go. Don't go. No more don't boat go. No more boat rides. Hey, Steve, I found all of that Star Trek paraphernalia you've been looking for. It's down there. No, further down. Keep going. Down keep, there. Keep going. Further down. You're going to see your cousins. They have chainsaws. <laughs> It's right past them. It's right Just past them. All the way down. Get in that hole that they dug. It's down in that hole. <laughs> it's down in the bottom of that hole. No, keep digging, you idiot. You goddamn moron. <laughs> All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.